but we have probably the foremost expert on the crypto scam uh, that I know, uh, Bitfinex, and yeah. he is literally, almost literally, in the Federal Witness Protection Program. Uh, he he is probably knows more about uh, what's happened and what's really going on than anybody. And he has, uh, in an unusual move, um, agreed to appear in public. And so Bitfinex, if you are there, um, welcome. Where do you want to start? Are you going to hear me all right? We hear you fine. Um, okay. It um, might be a little bit garbled, but. Yeah, well, I, I know there's good, I, I know uh, it's, 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 I really want to express uh, how appreciative I am for everybody for you coming out because uh, I know you've gone to great pains to, uh, you've been a, you've been a champion of truth and a, a great uh, danger to yourself. And so this is fantastic. Um, and so I don't know where you want to begin. I mean, you and I have talked quite a bit over the last year or two about Tether. Uh, more recently, we've had all the FTX nonsense, as you and I were going back and forth the other day. It's kind of funny how the reporters, you, you, you have an industrial uh, strength-sized can of breadcrumbs, you put it out there for them to see, and they don't catch it. So I guess maybe a good place to start would be, what is it that people are just not getting about this whole thing that's just so obvious to you? It's hard to say. I think I can I can literally have like you know what started off with Tether, um, or actually really started off with Bitfinex. When I first started investigating, you know what the hell is going on with Bitcoin back in 2017, you know I noticed that the, the price patterns were trading the same way as Mt. Gox, and some of the people recognized it and they didn't have an explanation for it. And the whole genesis of the whole thing was in early 2017. You know, Bitfinex, they lost their last bank account where, you know, they, they couldn't wire money out of the exchange. So I figured this out very early on because Bitfinex, they actually sued Wells Fargo trying to get the cash reopened, which that was a completely bullshit lawsuit. They, they got thrown out. I didn't get thrown out. They, they actually, they, they, uh, they withdrew it. And they put out a, uh, an interview with the, one of the executives of uh, Bitfix and Tether, which at this point in time, um, nobody realized that Bitfix and Tether were actually related to each other. You know, they're... Sorry, sorry, Bitfinex. My bad. Yeah, it's my bad. I hit the mute button by accident. Go ahead, Bitfinex. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Um, so, where was I? Um, uh, we were talking about Tether, I believe. I, I'm, right, I'm... right, you're, right. You're talking... Oh, I, 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 okay, so, basically, at this point in time, in 20, early 2017, this is basically you're on April 2017, you know, Bitfinex and Tether, they're, they're basically trying to hide the fact that they're run by the same people. You know, they, they actually scrubbed their website of the, uh, the Tether website was scrubbed by the, you know, for the, about us or who, who's, who's behind Tether. And they put out an announcement saying that, hey, yeah, you know, Tether, we don't have a bank account, so we can't, you know, we, we can't issue any new Tether. And the day after that, they issued like 7 million Tethers. So I raised a question saying, hey, uh, how are you guys? Did you guys get a new bank account? And there's like dead silence. They, they, they won't answer the question. Where are you guys banking? You know? So as I'm trying to raise issues with the, the, the Bitcoin market subreddit, you know, I'm like, hey, there's a problem with Bitfinex. They're doing the same thing as Mt. Gox. They're basically lying about you know, having banking you know, services. And of course, everyone in the Bitcoin market subreddit, they all hate my guts. You know? So I'm, get, I'm getting downloaded in oblivion. I found out later that it was actually Bitfinex uh, accounts that were basically... Um, downloading me to try to hide my, my, my messages. So um, eventually I get banned from the subreddit. Um, and I just, you know, 
I, I figured out that, you know, um, or Bitface figures out that I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep fucking, you know, pardon my friend. Um, I'm going to keep going after them. So Phil Potter, you know, he, he does the interview on April 12th. And I'm listening to the interview. Um, and it's, it's an interview on, on a, uh, a whale pool channel. Um, so whale pool is like an internal channel cha uh, where anybody could go to it, but mostly it was Bitfinex shareholders and the executives that were in there. And basically they're all asking Phil Potter, hey, what's going on with the bank accounts and blah, 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 blah. And so Phil Potter, he basically admits the bank fraud. You know, oh yeah, you know, the, the banks keep figuring out that this is Bitcoin related and they shut it down and then we have to create a new entity and blah, 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 blah. And I'm you know, like, I, I got smoking gun. They were basically admitting the bank fraud. So I start tweeting all that. I, I, I took a snapshot of that audio. I tweeted it all out there. Um, on, on April 24th, again, he admits the bank fraud, you know, playing cat and mouse games with banks. And they actually, they temporarily had that interview on YouTube, um, but it was deleted within about an hour. But not before I was able to archive it. So I, was, I actually have the full interview. So throughout 2017, you know, um, I'm basically, you know, Tether doesn't have a bank account. Okay. When you, the, 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 when you go look at the website um, and you read the fine print website, uh, it literally says that tethers are not redeemable for money. End of story. Like the fine print saying, hey, these are basically car wash tokens. And the website also doesn't work. Like if you create an account and you log on there, there's, there's basically these generous red banners, don't deposit anything, the website doesn't work. So they have no bank account. Um, the website doesn't work. The tokens are completely non-redeemable based on the fine print. And they're issuing hundreds and hundreds of millions of them. So the question is, who is buying these things? And as they're printing these tethers, every time they print up 100 million tethers, the market goes up. Within 15 minutes of them printing these, printing these tethers. And it goes, it keeps going all the way until around uh, September, uh, September of 2017. And the price of Bitcoin is around $5,000 or whatever. Um, in, in that ballpark, I think it was closer to 4800 and in early September, from uh, September 1st to September 14th, you know, all of a sudden, there's, there's no real news for it to happen, but the price of Bitcoin gets cut in half, or maybe, I think it was 40%. And then on September 15th, the entire market skyrockets. It, it basically, it, it goes up, you know, it was actually the largest four-hour candle in Bitcoin's history, where, you know, the largest amount of volume, you know, ever. And, you know, that was September 15th. Okay, so what's, what's so important about September 15th? Well, come to find out, um, if you, in the CFTC investigation, what they, what they did was they basically put a bunch of money in Tether's bank account on September 15th. And then they showed that to the auditor, and the auditor was like, yeah, on this day, there was a bunch of money in there. So I believe what they were doing is they are printing money out of thin air. They buy, they, they print tethers, you buy Bitcoin with it. You push the market up. But the problem now, they, they have to show that there's money in the account. So they start unloading all the Bitcoin, all the crypto. And then they put that money into the bank account. And then the auto looks at it and like, yep, it's all, you know, or not the, they did an attestation saying, oh, the money was there. They never mentioned, the, you know, tether themselves. They didn't mention that the money showed up the day, you know, the, the same morning that they did that attestation. They kind of kept that, you know, that was, that was kind of a secret. I suspected it, you know, but we didn't know for sure until last year, actually. So throughout 2017, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to raise these 
you know, these questions about Tether because it, it didn't make any sense. Who's, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me who's, who's buying these things. So in December, actually in November of uh, 2017, one of their employees, um, his name was Drew Sampson. He posts on Reddit. You know, but at this point, I'm, I'm banned from Reddit, from, from the from the subreddit, so I can't post in there. And he basically mentions that, uh, you know, well, what if what if tethers being printed not from dollars coming into the system, but they're being, you know, people are converting their cryptos into tethers, and that raises a question because, okay, well, you know, tethers not being bought with dollars, they're being bought with other crypto, you know, shit coins basically. So. Immediately, a bunch of people say, "Hey, uh, you know, but those, those tethers—when you print those tethers—they're being bought with dollars, right?" And he never answered that question. And from what I understand, he was fired from Bitfinex basically immediately after that. And New York Times—they finally ran a story. Nathaniel Popper—you know—it was, it was fairly, you know, it, it, it kind of highlighted some of the issues about the their, uh, the, the you know, the, the backing and the you know, the, the, the legal terms that they had. But it, it was, I guess, it was a fair, you know, assessment of, you know, of what was going on. It wasn't, it wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be, but it was, it was a good start. It was finally, you know, a, a reporter actually started paying attention to the story. And at that point, Bitfinex they started getting, you know, very, very, very angry with me. Um, there's actually emails that the New York Attorney General made public, showing how far they were going after to, to harass me and stalk me. Um, and then. Uh, Matt Lysing at Bloomberg, he ran a story, I think it was December 1st or December 2nd of 2017, basically calling in a question to $850 million at the time that Tether claimed that they had. December 6th of 2017, um, we found out that Bitfinex got subpoenaed by the CTC. On December 7th, 2017, the Bitcoin market goes up 40%. So there's a pattern that every time something bad happens to Bitfinex Tether, the market skyrockets. And it kept skyrocketing until um, they actually opened up the uh, the, the so-called CFTC futures, which I think was December 17th or December 18th. And there was a lot of other shitcoins that also skyrocketed, including, uh, you know, in my opinion, one of the first shitcoins, which was Litecoin. And, you know, it went from like $40 to $378. And uh, Charlie Lee, which you know, which which was a, a Coinbase employee, you know, at, at the very high, he basically sells all his Litecoins, you know, saying that oh, I'm going to start working on you know Litecoin, which was complete bullshit. But that's beside the point. So finally, we, we learned in January of 2018 that they were somebody leaked out that um, they were subpoenaed by the CFTC. I learned about the subpoena on December 18th. Um, 2017 through a very, very good source that apparently he had a connection to a Bitfinex shareholder. Um, so basically Bitfinex, they leaked out the fact that they got subpoenaed to all their shareholders and all their, all their friends. And they figured that, hey, this is the end. This is going to be, you know, they're going to get shut down. They're going to get blown up by the CFTC or whatever. So that's probably why they blew up the market, you know, or why they, they pumped it, you know, as one last big pump in, uh, in 2017. But of course, nothing really happened, you know, um, so in early 2018, I had to I had to disappear for a little while because it you know it's like there was it was just so much hate that I was, that I was getting I was, I was getting death threats I was getting you know so I was still watching everything um, but I basically kind of disappeared um, for a little while and I, there was two people that they kind of they kind of took it over a little bit 
Um, and they're, they're still active today. They go they go by uh, Bennett Tomlin and Caspian Steve. And yeah, I started in Bitfinex. I just sent DMs to uh, Kaz and Bennett and Grant Williams to uh, come in. Hopefully, they'll join us. Keep going. Okay. All right. So, anyways, um, where I finally come back a little bit, and I, I wasn't like fully back, but I was kind of just you know I was I started tweeting was the the John Griffin paper. Um, is Bitcoin really untethered? So that came out. I think it was July, uh, June. Um, June 15th of 2018. And he basically came to the conclusion that, you know, Tether is manipulating the market. And I didn't know it at the time, but John Griffin, he works for a company and he owns a company uh, called Integra FBC. And what I suspect happened was the CFTC subpoenaed Bitfinex and Tether, asking for all the transaction records for the issuance of Tether. I do not believe that Bitfix responded to the subpoena with the transaction records. And for whatever reason, the CFTC chose not to sue them at the time, like the New York Attorney General did. So the CFTC chose the route, I think, and I could be wrong about this, of having an outside expert basically analyze the tethers on the blockchain to figure out if it makes if what they're doing makes any sense. And he came to the conclusion that it doesn't. Shortly after that, you know, Tether, they started implementing a bunch of these, what they call, you know, uh, other blockchains where they could issue Tethers on. And I think that was primarily as a way of, of facilitating, the, you know, trying to track of the Tethers where they can basically, they can do chain swaps. So they'll basically do a bunch of manipulation on one chain and then redeem them for another, on another chain. And, and basically, I think that was designed to try to confuse people from analyzing what they were doing. Um, so in, I think it was in May of 2018 that Bloomberg, they did a report saying that there's a, a DOJ criminal probe into tether manipulation of the Bitcoin market. Also in April of 2018, there was, um, reports that a bank account that was, that basically Bitfinex was instructing your customers to send money to was seized out of Poland. Bitfinex completely denied the, uh, the seizure had anything to do with them. Um, in fact, I had um, Phil Potter, you know, he, he was asked about it. And he's like, oh, that's ridiculous. I later, I kind of found it interesting. He didn't deny it. He just said, that's ridiculous. So I thought that was, you know, amusing. So throughout 2018, the, uh, the market was kind of, you know, it was kind of, it, it would pump up a little bit, but it was basically stagnant. And uh, after, I think it was after um, January or February 2018, basically Tether just kind of stops printing all of a sudden. You know, like every every time, like there's, there's there's some sort of investigation going on, you know, or something, you know, Tether they, they, they take a pause. You know, I've I've kind of noticed. Um, I'm trying to get my train of here. Hang on a second. Um, so in around October 2018, um, again the, the price of Bitcoin is around six thousand or so. Um, it, it's gone up. You know, it, it it really hasn't moved that much. But on October 15th. 2018, all of a sudden, the price of Bitcoin it rises over $1,000 in 15 minutes. Unusual. Um, the price of Tether drops to $0.85. Cents. Also kind of unusual. And Bitfix, they put out a bunch of, uh, you know, blog posts saying, hey, everything's fine. I don't know what you guys are all worried about. And we found out later that, you know, the uh, the chief financial officer of uh, Bitfix and Tether, you know, he was 
basically freaking out because he couldn't even honor $5 million worth of withdrawals. And so effectively, they were covering up the fact that they didn't have any money. So I noticed, I think it was late October of 2018 through November of 2018, the price of Bitcoin is basically stuck at $6,600. And I'm watching the, the, the so-called cold wallet for Bitfinex. Roughly $700 million worth of Bitcoins were taken out of the Bitfinex cold wallet. Again, which was very unusual. Usually you would not see that much withdrawals coming out of Bitfinex in one month. And immediately after that stopped, the price of Bitcoin got cut in half. It went from 6,600 to, you know, 3,500. And it stayed there. Didn't really move. Um, all the way through from basically November of 2018 until April of 2019. You know, it was, you know, between 3,500 and 4,000. It just stayed there. On April 1st, 2018, or 2019, all of a sudden the bull market comes back. And we find out about three weeks later, they get sued by the Attorney General for basically covering up the $850 million loss. When you would go through the New York Attorney General's documentation, you'll find some emails uh, between the New York Attorney General and Bitfinex and Tether late March of 2019 that essentially New York, Attorney, New York Attorney General is asking for, again, the transaction records for the Tether issues and, you know, to prove that, you know, these are being backed and whatnot. And Bitfinex, they, they actually, I think they wanted to verbally respond to these requests, which the Attorney General is like, wait, what? You know, they want documents. And from what, from what I gather is Bitfinex figured out that the New York Attorney General is not going to back down. They're going to get sued. And when the New York Attorney General sues them, it's going to become public that they have this $850 million hole and they didn't cover this up. So the tried and true method to distract everyone in crypto from all the bad news from Bitfinex is you just create a bull market. So April 1st, April Fool's, price of Bitcoin goes up $1,000, 15 minutes. I don't think it was quite 15 minutes. might have been a day, you know, but it just suddenly goes up. There's no news, no event. No big announcements. Uh, you know, everyone in the community was like, what, what happened? Why did it go up? There was no short that got liquidated, you know, supposedly. So the price goes up to about $6,000 before the New York Attorney General finally drops the loss, or, you know, they, didn't, they announced the lawsuit. And Bitfinex is in full damage control mode, you know. Um, and this is late April 2018. Um, Reginald Fowler was arrested, their money mule. Um, all his stuff got seized. Uh, he was, uh, ironically, he was found with uh, over $13,000 of counterfeit $100 bills in one of his offices, which is kind of funny. And, you know, Bitfinex, they very quickly, they put an announcement that they're going to basically do a, uh, a token raise, which is basically they, they create their own, their own shit coin. And I found out later that they, they actually got bailed out by Block One to the tune of $500 million. So they were kind of allowed to, be, allowed to continue. Now, FTX was created in, on May 8th, 2019. The Leo shitcoin was created on May 8th, 2019, which is interesting. Um, I have heard from a couple contacts that the same shareholders that kind of control Bitfinex 
they they funded the creation of FTX. And I think in April, May 2019, you know, there was a real concern, you know, Bitfix, they had $850 million seized. Uh, Reginald Fowler got arrested. Um, he was being prosecuted for bank fraud. And I think there was a real, a, a real fear that Bitfix might go under, you know, they, you know, because again, this is Bitfix's money. You know, it's, it's a rational person is going to be like, hey, you know, maybe Bitfix executives are going to be next. So I feel like the shareholders, as kind of a, as a hedge, they kind of they created FTX, and FTX kind of operates the same way as Bitfix. It was a, a no KYC AML exchange, just like Bitfix. You know, they they pretend to have KYC, but the reality is you can create unlimited accounts and do unlimited trading on all these accounts. So it, there's no, there's really, and, and, and you, can, you can do it from the United States. You, you didn't have to, you know, you didn't even have to use a VPN actually in a lot of, a lot of instances. What would act, actually happen on FTX if you, if you use the VPN, it would temporarily disable you until you turned on the, turn the VPN back on. So throughout the summer of 2019, during the New York Attorney General's investigation, they basically they just create a whole, a whole new bull market. Start, they start printing tethers. They start, you know, the, the price. The price goes from, I think, uh, from like six thousand dollars. I think it was like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars. I think it might have, been, might have been as much as fourteen thousand dollars. But they just continue the same pump and dump that they've been doing for, you know, oh, no, yeah. At the time, they were doing this for, you know, I think from, uh, from really from twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen. So, you know, past two years. And it's wild to me that. You know, you, you have Tether that, okay, the, their own lawyer came out and admitted that, yeah, Tether's only 74% back. Well, why in the world is somebody buying Tethers when their lawyer goes out and says, we only have 74% backing? But nonetheless, they keep printing Tethers. They, they create another bull market in 2020 and 2021. And they just keep creating endless amounts of shitcoins. You know, Ponzi scheme. You have you have sushi swap. You know, you have you know uni swap. You know, they, and again, you know, as you know, Sam Bankman would call it, it would just be you know a, a money box that people put money to, and it was all it was all tethers. Um, jumping forward, you know, to more recent events. You know, um, no, I, I actually, I'll I'll go back. To, I'll go to twenty twenty one. You know, I start tweeting about you know FTX basically be you know running a bunch of Ponzi schemes. Um, everybody ignores it. The media, you know, the, the media is ignoring it. Um, I figured out that, you know, the lawyers for FTX, um, or one of the lawyers, uh, Dan Friedberg, you know, he's a former colleague of Stuart Horgner, the lawyer for Bitfix and Tether. So they're, they're you know, and they, they used to uh, work for a company that was called Xkappa, which was a software program behind Ultimate Bet, which allowed the, the, the big scandal there was they allowed the employees of Xcapa and Ultimate Bet to cheat at online poker. And that website was actually shut down by the Department of Justice, but not for the cheating. They, Stuart Hogner and Dan Freeberg, they, they got off scot-free. They ripped off, I think, I think about $50 million. It might be more than that, but they ripped off $50 million and basically they all got away with it. I got to take a break. Hang on a second. Yeah, Biff and I do take a break. This is, I can't tell you how grateful for you are for you to uh, be sharing your wisdom. Just so you know, um, you got a lot of smart uh, compadres in the room. Uh, Kaz is here. 
Michael Green is here. Concord is here. Michael Cow is here. So a lot of the, uh, you know, leading uh, thinkers in this area are present. So uh, you're really doing God's work by showing up here. And um, so, so thank you for that. So carry on, Biff, the next four years. So anyways, I start pulling out, you know, the connection between um, Bankman and Tether. Um, and interestingly, I also have a recording of, you know, Bankman essentially admitted the bank fraud. So I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. I have Phil Potter of Tether admitting bank fraud. I have Bankman admitting bank fraud. Um, so I start tweeting stuff out. I'm like, hey, here's a recording of Bankman admitting bank fraud. And, you know, I, I, I show this in the report. I, I've done multiple reporters. And, I, and I've had reporters ask me, hey, can I ask, can you give me some questions to ask for Bankman? And I gave him here, here, ask him a question. Why is he sending all this money to Tether? You know, and for some reason, you know, some of the reporters, they kind of go in that direction, but they don't, they don't go for the kill. They go, they, 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 they kind of beat around the bush. So basically, as I'm trying to explain what's going on with, between, Bit, you know, between uh, Bitfinex, Tether, and FTX, you know, it makes no sense that if you start a crypto exchange, and the whole reason you started is because you didn't like how crypto exchanges were running, you know, why would you send every single dollar you get, 30, 30, allegedly $36 billion, you sent it all to Tether? Made no sense to me. And I, sh I share this with, with reporters. Um, none of them really, you know, they, some of them found it interesting, but they didn't really, you know, they, 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 it's, it's, it's very, very frustrating. It's almost, it's almost the point where it's, it's, it's traumatizing to me. Like, like you feel like you're taking crazy pills. You feel like, you know, like, you know, you're the only one that recognizes it and then it all blows up. And then now they're all interested in, Hey, you know, you're right. You know, like you didn't, you didn't see it before. Anyways, I don't know uh, if, if Cass wants to speak for a little bit. I, I kind of would like to take a little bit of a break. Yeah, if you would. This has been great. Uh, Kaz, uh, if you would, um, well, if we want to come up and speak, um, or Mike Green, or Michael Cow, or anybody who's uh, well-versed in this, um, I mean, it's just outrageous what's everything that's happened. And the failure of uh, you know, the, the feckless Gary Gensler and the rest of the authorities to do anything about it. Um, it's just outrageous. So, Kaz, welcome to the stage. Uh, why don't we give Bitfinex uh, a rest? And uh, your compadre, Ben, I don't know if he's here, but Kaz, why don't you weigh in? The floor is yours, Kaz. Uh, well, um, hi, everybody. I, um, yeah, I'm grateful to be up here right now. It's nice to uh, talk to you again, George. And, of course, Bitfinex, who, um, as, I've, as I've said before, was the reason that I ended up being a critic and a skeptic in the first place. So nice to be on stage with both of you right now. Um, I'm here in I'm here in Bitfinex to talk about all this stuff, and um, there's not a lot I <clears throat> I can say about that. Um, I know for me personally today, just seems to be hitting different for some reason. Um, maybe it's because this is what the fifth or sixth uh, major thing this year to happen to be an enormous catastrophic collapse um or i guess it isn't is what genesis is posturing right now but um it's taxing and exhausting and um in a sense i'm sad that it's all happening but i'm also kind of glad that we're exposing all of this nonsense even though yeah people like bitfinex has been he's been talking about it for 
as long as I can remember. And, um, and yeah, Bennett and I have been talking about systemic risk for a really long time. I think it's clear that it was an issue and it's, um, I don't know, it's being reckoned with. Um, Is there a way to reckon with it uh, until it all unwinds and exits the system? I don't think so. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what what questions I can answer or how. So, so, so Kaz, let me throw you a question, okay? Obviously, we're required to speculate here. (laughs) As professional investors, we always, that's what we do for a living. We make decisions in the face of incomplete information. If If everything was known, there'd be no opportunity. So not that you necessarily know anything. But based on your in-depth and exhaustive study of the situation, if you had to sort of, I don't know, hallucinate, speculate, whatever, about how exactly Tether enabled uh, FTX and, and the whole crypto ecosystem. I mean, you know, FTX, I think, was, was the, biggest, uh, the biggest player with Tether. There were three guys, what, did 80% of all the Tethers or whatever. So if you had to sort of, spec- if you had to sort of speculate as to Again, you don't really know, but I mean, kind of like pattern recognition. Look where the pieces are on the chessboard. What could you imagine was a relationship between? Because again, everyone's looking at the shiny object right now is, is, is Sam Bank, scam Bankman fraud, as he's called, and FTX. People forgot about Tether. So this is where you come in. What 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 could you imagine is the relationship between these entities? I think this is the compelling question that every. I think everybody is starting to ask it now. This is the question, right? Because we know that at least 30 to 37 to 40 plus billion dollars of Tether, I'm not going to say dollars, of Tether went into Alameda. We have no idea what that was. And people keep saying, well, it was USD. And I keep saying, well, there's no way. There's no way it was strictly USD. And the reason I know that's definitely the case is because one, Tether already told us that they had at least they had we don't know what they have anymore because and i and i also want to say they don't have an audit for anyone out there who's listening and thinks that tether has ever gotten an audit they have not please stop saying that they only have gotten assurances memos and other stuff that does not qualify as an audit in any way shape or form by the way ftx claimed that they were audited um they claimed that they were gap audited they clearly were not audited not in any way that mattered so um, how did they get all of this, this tether? I don't know. And I don't think anyone knows. And that is the scariest thing you can imagine, right? Because it could be anything. It could be US, US dollars. I really hope it is. I really doubt it is. And I really think that they at least gave them collateral and things like Bitcoin. And maybe they gave them under, under collateralized loans. Maybe they gave them loans collateralized in FTT. You know, there are things that could be going on that we have no idea about. And of course, um, Tether is going to say that's definitely not the case. We're liquid. We have all the dollars. Maybe they do, but they have not been audited and we don't know if that's true. So I like I just I, the this whole idea of fear, uncertainty and doubt. It's real in the sense that we don't have any idea what's going on behind the scenes. None of us do. The only people who have a clue are like three executives inside Tether and Bitfinex. And until they do a full audit, there's no way we could ever find out. Yeah, Kaz, I'm, remi- yeah, Kaz, I'm reminded of the old line about, you know, when things aren't obvious, they're not obvious for a reason. And given the opacity of the situation, 
And as we peel back the layers of the onion, we see just how much debt and garbage is at every step of the way. I'm prepared to believe that that, that, that there's realistically, there's no there there. I think it's all smoke and mirrors. And listen, if any of us were running Tether or any of these entities, the easiest way to uh, remove yourself from suspicion is to come clean. What's the matter, Stuart Hugner? Cat's got, cat's got your tongue, huh? I, so, I, I, I mean, I, the intellectual I, I, conclusion is it's rotten to the core. What would you say to that, Kaz? Well, no, I do, I do want to bring up, you, you, you're bringing this up, and I think this is actually a really good point. Because I looked at, I was going through old tweet threads, um, and there was one between uh, Santiago Capital and SBF, and, um, and Santiago kept asking, <laughs> he kept asking him, what are your correspondent banks? Like, what are your correspondent banks that you're using with Tether? How are you wiring them money? And he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer. And then Tether showed up. Stuart Hegner showed up. And he wouldn't answer. And nobody would answer. But they just kept being like, we understand you're asking these questions for all the right reasons. And trying to, like, give him a pat on the back without answering the question. And all I have to say about that, where it's like, you might not agree with the laws. You might not agree with the reasons that people are considered criminals. But please show me any other industry where they're like, oh, sorry, I can't share any of the correspondent banks that I'm using in the U.S. There was no reason for him to for both of them to not respond to that question. And you're right. When you're shown these smoke and mirrors, these lies, the deception, which has gone on for years. And I will not deny that. That is absolutely 100 percent true. They have lied repeatedly. Um what do you have you all you can do is go off of past behavior so what do i think they're doing of course i think they're lying of course i do but like i have no proof of that and all of their statements and their assurances from bdo italia a quote top 12 worldwide auditor um you know i can't argue with that because it is what it is i think they're lying that means you know f all so it's like uh yeah I don't know. I it it I it's always been the the sixty billion dollar elephant in the room. So Al- Alameda was it was and is a a market manipulation firm. You know they engaged in a lot of spoofing, a lot of wash trading, a lot of trade fraud. You know I personally believe what they were doing is they go to Tether and say, hey, listen, you know this guy is short on Bitcoin. You know if if we uh, if we can get a billion tethers. We can liquidate this guy and we can make a bunch of money. So Tether would basically give him a bunch of tethers, billion tethers, 500 million tethers, however, however much they need. They take those tethers, they inflate not just Bitcoin, but they inflate all these secondary crypto markets. Everyone sees those markets rise. They then dump the market when they rise. With real and, and they sell all their bullshit assets. They go to Coinbase, they go to Gemini, they go to all the other exchanges, and they get real money. They then remit that real money to Tether, and whatever's left, they take it as profit. And then Tether's able to say, hey, look, we have the money. The question is, what's the order of the transaction? And they do it very, very quickly. Yeah, we. I, I do want to say, we've seen, uh, I, you, I, maybe you already talked about this, Bitfinex, but we've seen proof of them essentially moving funds from Bitfinex Bitfinex right. to, they, they, to Tether to do a one day snapshot of the funds like this is proven. This is absolutely there. He is not making this up. 
there's nothing that we have to like worry about li liability wise by talking about this. This is proven that Tether went out of their way to lie about where these funds were coming from. Now they've done that twice that we know of. Is this why they can't get an audit? Because all the funds that they ended up with at this point, maybe they all have all these U.S. treasuries and all these U.S. dollars. Maybe they do. You know, I, it's it it isn't out of the realm of total possibility. But the problem is, even if you have all those U.S. dollars and all those U.S. treasuries, is if you got them illegally and you manipulated markets and you lied to investors, then it's a problem because you can't actually get an audit anymore, can you? Yeah, I, I keep thinking about the uh, the disastrous interview that they did with uh, with Boza, um, which, by the way, that the interview uh, that they did with CNBC, I realized recently, like CNBC, they made the video private, and I raised a stink about it, and they actually just recently put it back. And towards the end of the video, you know, um, Deidre Boza, you know, she asked him, hey, how come the CEO and the CFO, they won't come on and do an interview? And, you know, Paolo, he, you know, he basically says, well, the reason why they can't do an interview is because they're, they're very, very busy individuals. And uh, they're, they're helping out, you know, with, with Sam at Alameda. You know, um, well, that's an unfortunate admission. So I, I feel like, you know, that maybe they wanted to take out that interview. And because I wrote a stunt about it, they, you know, they put it back. But it just feels like they were trying to suppress that interview for some reason. Hey, hey, uh, Bitfinex and Kaz, um Gnostic, uh, he's a really smart guy, friend of the room. Uh, Gnostic, I think you had a question you wanted to weigh in here, Gnostic. Please unmute yourself, Gnostic. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I deal with different stuff in the public markets, not in the in the Bitcoin market. So I'm somewhat familiar with uh, only a little bit of the Bitcoin, but by no means as, as familiar as you are. But I did hear in what you were saying, the difference between can't get and won't do an audit um, do you have anything that would substantiate the can't get versus the won't do? I, I mean, I, I substantiate. Well, okay. So what, what do we know? We know that $850 million has been frozen in a Polish bank account. Like Bitfinex talked, spoke about was this, this is related to Reggie Fowler, the, uh, Oz Yosef, Ravid Yosef. There's these cast of characters that were, basically just doing very, very illegal shit, uh, like counterfeiting. Um, so there is that, which is a very minuscule portion of what Tether holds. Uh, it's weird, and I think that uh, it would be likely that the... I, I don't know if Bitfinex spoke of this either, but there were, like, there were DMs between the CFO of uh, Bitfinex and Tether and, and the CEO of Crypto Capital Corp, which I, I don't know. This is a shadow bank that basically everyone relied on in the cryptocurrency industry, which by the way, I really hope that um, a bunch of journalists out there who have better connections in the cryptocurrency industry are asking Dell Tech, please, Dell Tech Bank, a lot of questions right now. And I hope they're asking Silvergate Bank a lot of questions right now, because it turns out some of these banks might be up to some really weird stuff. And I don't know if that harms the ability to get an audit, like trying to get back to the beginning of this question here, but I don't know if this harms your ability to get an audit. But what they say here, I'm going to give Tether's argument, which is that there's no way they can get an audit 
it is impossible for any cryptocurrency business to get an audit right now. So they're not alone. No cryptocurrency company could possibly get an audit. What, we, what we're asking for from them, which is what they promised, is impossible to give to us. Um, now, I don't know how realistic that is. The other excuse they've used is quite literally that people like Bitfinex and myself and Bennett Tomlin have made it so that it's impossible for them to get an audit because <laughs> we have spoken so loudly about their mis mis mischievous behavior. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know the reality of this. I'm not an auditor, but um, it I, it stinks to me. One thing about the uh, you know the, the so-called auditing, you know, you know, Tether they always you know complain that oh well nobody wants to audit us, nobody wants to audit us, and you know it's like oh yeah, the Bitfinex guy is the reason why they can't get an audit, which is complete horseshit, you know. Um, but they had an auditor in uh, in 2017. They had Friedman LLP, and Friedman LLP fired them as a you know as a customer. And Phil Potter actually did a uh, an interview where he tells everybody. That oh well we don't know why Friedman Friedman LLP fired us you know they never told me that and the truth is um, Phil Potter was actually sent a letter explaining why um, they wouldn't do the audit and I believe the reason why Friedman LLP sent a letter that they wouldn't do an audit was Heather didn't want to produce the required records to do an audit because those records would have shown that the tethers are preceding the issuance. Of, or the tethers are being issued before they get any money. And at this point in 2017, Tether didn't even have a bank account. And if you read the CFTC's documents, you know, um, Tether was actually using so-called anticipated wire transfers to back the tethers. And, you know, they're also backing with crypto as well, you know, and various other complete garbage. They were holding money in other people's bank accounts, which, you know, uh, they actually had, um, I think it was one thing, they, they used a ter the term friends of Bitfinex. So they had they had shareholders that would, in their own personal bank accounts, would hold money for Tether. They used an Excel spreadsheet to manage everything. So it's, it's, it's impossible to audit this. Because even if you could, even if you assume that all the money was there, you know, there's no legal contract between where the money, between the entity that has that money and, and Tether. And in fact, I think even the New York, uh, the, the New York Attorney General basically made it public that they, they basically had people send $850 million to a company that they had no legal contract with. And they actually, when after that money got seized, they, they made like a token effort to try to get it back. They hired some bullshit lawyer and Lawyer, it was all—it was all really just as a for show. You know, they know that they can't get the money back because they—they they never had a legal contract with Reginald File or, or Crypto Capital. So again, who the fuck sends or instructs their customers to send eight hundred fifty million dollars to a payment processor that they have no contract with? Yeah, it, the whole crypto capital story is really curious. And I, you know, if anyone ever wants to go back that far, I mean, it's such a long time ago at this point, we're talking 2018. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is, it's really curious. And I do believe that's correct, that largely their work with these shadow bankers would make it 
almost impossible to get an audit. However, I'm, you know, we're hearing Sam Bankman-Fried say that they're getting all these audits. We're seeing all these, you know, Armanino LLP, uh, um, BDO. We're seeing all these, all these auditors coming in and saying like, we'll audit your cryptocurrency companies. And I'm, I'm just wondering if they're auditing, if they know what they're doing at all. No, because they, they don't. Yeah, they're, exactly. they're cheating. They're cheating for, for, for crypto. Um, I actually got a, I got a recent tweet on the, the, the auditor for FTX. Um, I also have it on good authority that they also audit finance. So uh, that, that should be fun. So guys, for both of you, I mean, you, you're in the weeds. You've forgotten more about this than I'll ever know. I'm more of a you know traditional um, finance market structure guy. And Kaz, when when we were together, um, you know, with Bennett, uh, Grant Williams doing um, those podcasts, just the idea—you just stand back and you look at the size of the tether um, increase in the market cap of tether, and presumably and most assuredly, a very large part of that's just completely counterfeited. And that those tether created out of thin air, just used to pump up the entire value of the crypto ecosystem. And I really love it. You know, I, I get a lot of flack, not as much as you guys do, but when I'm in rooms, people say, well, you know, you can't tell the difference. You know, you're, you're lumping you're lumping Bitcoin together with crypto when they're different. It completely misses the point. And that is a market structure and how this, you know, reckless wildcat banking, whatever, counterfeiting, it's just pumped up the value of everything. Even if you say, okay, Bitcoin's more legitimate and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, you create a hundred billion of counterfeit out of thin air. I'm exaggerating. I can show you a bull market also. And so putting the pieces together, Kaz, Bitfinex, you know, how much do you buy into that view? And then again, the missing link perhaps here, what role does FT, what role has FTX played in this whole thing? I think that you're making a pretty interesting point, which is to say that while I tend to probably be more on the alignment of I do see some value and niche use cases in cryptocurrency, um, market market structure is absolutely important for any market at all. And I go back. One of my favorite stories is about um, uh, this guy named Mr. Copper in Japan, uh, Yasuo Hamanaka, who uh, cornered the entire copper market. And how did he do that? Well, he invented, you know, all these copper contracts for copper that didn't exist from a mine that his company owned that he would sell back to his company that would then be sold those, you know, it it was a loop. It was a loop of itself. And the price of copper went through went way up crazy 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 and ultimately what happened well you can't just corner a market the entire market collapsed um of course there's the famous uh, the silver brothers but it's i like there's this is it doesn't matter how real the asset is any asset can absolutely be manipulated and i it's it's actually it's a great point george and i it's not yeah. something i've con- considered very much yeah and, and you know it's like imagine I'll, I'll, I'll reduce it to simple terms that we all can relate to imagine we all own homes you know reasonable neighborhood some suburb some city and let's say the houses are going for you know 
$800,000 a piece. I'm just making up an example. And let's say out of the blue, out of left field, a whole bunch of hot farm money comes in. It's Russian um, oligarchs. It's hot Chinese money. And they just start buying up everything. Well, Kaz, your house is a nice house. It was worth $800,000. Or it was selling for, I don't want to say worth. It was selling for $800,000. Now it's a million five. So you'll just say, yeah, but you know, the neighborhood I live in, it's got a good school system. And it's a nice house. has a pool and a nice backyard. That was true at 800000 It was also true at a million five. It's true at $2 million five. And so all the maxis, and I am going to lump the crypto people in with the Bitcoin people. The issue isn't how is Bitcoin different from crypto. The issue is to what, what's important here is market structure. And to what extent were they both pushed up by the same phenomenon? So this, this illegal hot money comes flying in, pushes everything up. You didn't do anything to make your house worth that much more. And then let's assume there's a crackdown in China or a crackdown in Russia, and all this hot money then disappears. It goes right back down to where it was uh, before. In fact, it may even go lower because if some of the, it may go below where it started because some of the homes were bought with leverage, and then there's forced selling. You know, it doesn't stop at equilibrium. So, what I think the uh, the crypto crowd, the Bitcoin crowd. Let's say Bitcoin does is better than crypto, whatever. They're completely missing the whole issue of market structure. And, you know, I've, I've been saying for, I started my jihad on, on, on Bitcoin and, and, and Tether and, and, and Kazis when you and I first met, I think it was second quarter of last year. And, you know, the, the failure, and all they'll do when you start talking about, about this, they just want to talk about, you know, it's a store of value, it's this, it's that, it's a science experiment. It's irrelevant. As you were just saying, the price of anything can be pushed up with leverage. And my view is, given the opacity of the, of the, of the situation, and every time we peel back a layer of the onion, there's no there there. It, it, just, it just continues to go from bad to worse. I'm prepared to believe the worst of this. And you know what? It could be in the end that Bitcoin's a real deal. Okay, that's fine. But if you get a complete puke liquidation, I mean, I've been calling Bitcoin to 10,000 since it was 35. I mean, I don't know. We could go to a thousand. What do I know? So, because there's no inherent value. So, I don't know. Bitfinex, Kaz, anybody. Have, any thoughts? I have on an answer. Please yeah. go. Yep, go. Gene uh, Carlo had, has, has the answer. He, he, said, he said it himself uh, in 2018. He said, um, if we don't act quickly, Bitcoin will fall below a thousand dollars. Bitcoin has not traded in an honest market ever. It's always been. Ponzi schemes and frauds that start pushing the price of Bitcoin up. What is the price in the in the honest market? I have no clue. In Bitfinex, again, in Cas, going to market structure of, of Bitcoin. Keep in mind, and you, you, my aim is accuracy, not precision. You guys forgot more about this than I'll ever know. But from memory, roughly 80 percent of the Bitcoin is hodled. The float's only 25 percent. So, you know, talk about a manipulated market, a tight market, a controlled market. Conversely, when people are forced to sell or they want to sell because they see it's melting, the price is melting before their very eyes, all of a sudden the float starts to expand, hit the bid, the thing collapses completely. So I they think. They should shut down when they do that. So, excuse me, Fifth Next. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry what did you say? No. The exchanges, they shut down when they, whenever that starts to happen, they just say, just I, I know. Pause, pause withdrawals. Pause. Yeah, I, I yeah. know, Bitfix. Kind of funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Um, so, 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 Kaz and Bitfinex, can we please come back on? There were two studies. There was what's his name, Professor Anderson, the guy in Texas, 
Then there was a guy with a Tel Aviv University or someplace in Israel did another study. And the whole timing of the tether issuance coinciding with the uh, with, 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 with the unusual Bitcoin price movements. I mean, it's like statistically impossible that they're not um, that they're not related. Um, you want to elaborate a little bit on uh, on what those two studies revealed? Are you talking about the Griffin paper? Yeah, there's the Griffin paper. And then there's also the guy in Israel. I got the names mixed up. There's also the guy in Israel a few years earlier. I think I can't remember if yeah, it was he, at Haifa or Tel University, one of those places. Yeah, so he was, he was talking about the uh, the Willy Bot um, on Mount Gox, which uh, the funny thing about the Willy Bot is after Mount Gox blew up, um, there's actually a couple threads on the Bitcoin Talk forum where somebody literally asked Dean Carlo, hey, can you guys make your own Willy Bot to push the price of Bitcoin to 10000 And, you know, Gene Carl jokingly, uh, you know, his response to yeah, I'm currently working on it. You know, ironically, that's basically what, he, what, what they did. You know, they, they created their own fake money and they pushed the price up, you know. Um, so I believe that those studies are, you know, I, I, the, the one I'm most familiar with is going to be the Griffin paper. And, you know, I, I can't argue against it. I, you know, it's, it, again, I, I, I agree with it, you know. Um, and I, I, honestly, I, as I was reading it, you know, I, I realized that I was not nuts, you know, because um, I was like, that was basically the first like real confirmation that this person's a lot smarter than me, and they're coming to the conclusion that, yeah, there's definitely some sort of manipulation going on here. I just want to add, I, I just want to add really quick that you know Bennett Tomlin is a data scientist, and he like he has his issues with the Griffin and Shams paper, um, it, but I do think that his issues are more around the idea that there was this concept with the paper that Tether was directly affecting the price of Bitcoin. And I think it's, it's fair to suggest that in reality, Tether was being used to prop up a lot of illiquid shit. And sure, Bitcoin is not as liquid as other things, but it's the most liquid cryptocurrency. And it is much easier to pump and dump you know, the hundred other coins that are listed on Bitfinex than it is to pump and dump Bitcoin, you know? So I, and, and you actually uh, brought this up in a sense, uh, Bitfinex, which is like that uh, an honest market, you can't rely on these Ponzi schemes and this stuff. And, and in a sense, a rising tide carries all boats, right? Like if they pump and dump all of these small cap shit coins, I don't know why Bitcoin wouldn't go up and Ethereum and these other assets wouldn't go up with it. Like it, it makes sense. So um, I think that was Bennett's main problem with it. And I tend to agree with him because I know that he's smarter in the realm of collecting data and analyzing it. So um, I think that's a fair assessment is to be like, Oh yeah, they pumped and dumped what was easy to pump and dump so that they could make their money, which again, we were talking earlier about the audits would point to, audits being very difficult if you're utilizing your funds in this way. Can I, can, can I put the next question to you guys? Um, and that is the role of the regulators. Now, I realize these are sort of, you know, uh, Tether, you know, it's not clear it exists somewhere on the internet, you know. It's in Bahamas. No, 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 it does. It does. And Liberty Reserve does, right? Like, I, it's, it does. And, or and did, like, Liberty, you know. Did, did, right? And <laughs> did, okay, all right. Is, is that it's, it's, they have failed us. 
and they have done a very bad job. Yeah, yeah, Kaz, Kaz, let me tease out the question, please. All right. So, I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on with Gary Gensler. I don't, or any of the others. I don't want any political thing because you know both sides pull this stunt. But you know, it's funny. I put, I put a tweet out a few months ago. It was back in I think it was like in May or June, and I took the, uh, you know, it was one of those asshole type tweets. Live footage of Gary Gensler meeting with Sam Bankman-Fried. And I took the skit from Hogan's Heroes um, with Sergeant Schultz going, I know nothing, I see nothing, I hear nothing. <laughs> okay? And then it's just like art imitating life, life imitating art. You know, it just recently it gets revealed that, 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 that Gensler did meet with Sam Bankman-Fried. So I asked myself, is Gensler stupid or corrupt or a little bit of both? So that's a lead into the question. Where are the regulators in all this? Is it just a, they can't be bothered? They don't have the incentive to do anything? Or are they in the pocket of these guys? Like, what is going on? How do you guys I, have, have a go at it? I, I, I feel they're, they're being flooded by bullshit. And then it's like they, it's almost like, they, again, the same thing with the SEC and Bernie Madoff. You know, they, they didn't even look at his freaking account, the DTC account. You know, they closed the case without even looking at it. You know, it's like, they only show up, they're, they're, it's like a fire department that, you know, once the entire neighborhood burns down, the fire department shows up and, you know, they, they, they try to figure out why, why the house, why everything burned down, but they never, when it starts blowing up, they never, they don't show up until after it blows up, you know. That's right, um, that's right, that's right. And I think there's, there, I don't know if it was in the China Hustle or one of these other um, movies about short sellers, but they specifically mentioned that, essentially journalists and short sellers uh, activist short sellers are the ones who are actually trying to ring the fire alarms and the regulators are the ones coming in long after the fire has already gone out and i think that's a correct assessment of what they've they've almost always done for what 30 40 years i'd like to uh turn to my good friend michael green who is uh, very well versed in these subjects as well Michael, welcome. Uh, you want to stir the pot a little bit? Have a go. Hey, how you doing, George? Um, actually, I was going to hit on exactly the topic that you just brought up, which is this dynamic of regulators. And the time that I was spending in Washington speaking to people around on these topics, you know, the interesting dynamic was is that there was basically a it, you know, internal fight of who would get to regulate, right? So was it going to be the CFTC? Was it going to be the SEC? The big complaint was that Gary Gensler was overstepping his bounds with the IRS having already declared it as property, therefore falling under commodities, et cetera. So, you know, the, the challenge is largely that regulators are faced with two separate components. One is, is that they don't want to be the people responsible for shutting down the next great growth industry. And they really, as others pointed out, are being bamboozled in a variety of ways. The second component, though, and the reason why they compete to regulate is if you regulate, then you get to take the job afterwards in the industry. And there's any number of regulators who have taken very, very well compensated roles in crypto and smoothed this dynamic with their follow on successors, et cetera. And everybody sees this path. Right. So if you're the CFTC, you want to prevent Gary Gensler from doing anything and taking control of it because you want to preserve that optionality for yourself. So, we, you know, we are unfortunately trapped in a situation in which a bunch of people can get very, very wealthy in the years after their role as regulators if they are able to 
gain control of it. And to gain control of it, they want to be sufficiently favorable to the industry. Why would you want to kill it? So it, it's, you know, this is one of these really frustrating components. It's not clear how we solve this. At the same time, you, you know, the narrative that has emerged that this is the fault of the SEC or this is the fault of regulators for failing to adequately police this space. Man, George, you've been on this, you know, you know, this tirade. I've been on this tirade for two years now. Nobody wanted to listen. Right. Nobody cared. Right. They were too busy making money on their own, pooing the various risks that were highlighted for them. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Kathy Wood at ARC or whether it's Sam Bankman Fried at FTX. You know, the overall objective for people was to ignore rather than carefully evaluate. So, again, Michael, you're talking about, you know, you know Charlie Munger, please call your office. The, the incentives, you know, you show me the outcome, uh, you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. And so are we destined, the way you set it up, Michael, are we destined to just have a complete car crash? I mean, that's just the way it's going to roll? I, I, listen, I think that we are headed towards the complete car crash. This, to me, is kind of the moment where you're trapped with everybody convinced that, you know, the... Um, the next big fraud is something like GBTC, et cetera, that obviously they don't have the Bitcoin in there. Man, that's not the scary part. The scary part is if they do. Imagine you have a trust that now has somewhere in the neighborhood of 5% of all outstanding Bitcoin that's forced to liquidate. How the hell does the market absorb that in this market? You know, Michael, what you it's funny. I'm getting flashbacks to my experience in the Japanese stock market in the 1980s. And as a fundamental analyst, you could do all the work you wanted. You could look at, you know, price to book and PEs and growth rates, and all that kind of stuff. But in a liquidity-driven market, such as Japan was, whereas we know because of the cross holdings, the flow to the Japanese market was maybe about, I don't know, 30, 35%. There was a direct correlation. You can imagine this, Michael. A direct correlation between price performance. The price performance was inversely correlated to float. So the more illiquid a stock was, the more it went up. And in Japan, where you had these Zaibatsu, you know, these, 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 these group holdings, Sumitomo Bank owns Sumitomo Rubber, owns Sumitomo Chemical, owns Sumitomo Insurance. And so you've got, you know, one of the, just as an example, you've got one of the Sumitomo companies with 70% of its float, 70% of its holdings being held, or not really for sale because they're closely held. The, the incremental dollar flowing into uh, that stock has a much more leveraged impact than one where the float was 100%. And it was extraordinary. There were a couple of railway stocks in particular, I recall. You know, when you remember the good old days, Michael, when the Emperor's Palace was worth more than the whole state of California. And I was I was a young buck. I actually drank the Kool-Aid for a while. I was bullish, believe it or not. And people would make up these fanciful stories about how valuable these railway companies were because just think of all the real estate, you know, alongside the tracks. Cebu Railway was foremost in this regard. I think Cebu Railway had a float of like 6% or something like that. So what goes up the most comes down the most. So I learned that lesson from there. And I and when I look at the structure, again, market structure of these of all these crypto scams, including including Bitcoin, to me it's the same thing. And I, I just I just feel, you know, people you know, people say I get angry, get hot, whatever. It's like I, I feel like Don Quixote, you know, tilting against windmills. I mean, I've seen this movie before and I just feel, I feel badly because I mean, Michael, you tell me, but it looked me. Yeah. Okay. Bitcoin, even now, you know, it's gone up a million percent, whatever in the last five years, 
I don't know how many tens or hundreds of billions the public has lost. I mean, it's just outrageous. So there has to be a better way. I mean, Michael, what is the better way? Well, unfortunately, what you're describing is, is you know, the same realization that everyone who has traded markets for an extended period of time goes through and is exactly what sits at the core of the arguments that I make around passive, right? Which is, it's not a value story. It's not a market cap story. It's a flow story. And so if you're trying to pile stuff in, into markets in which people are, are unwilling to sell, i.e. insiders or closely held shares, um, or unwilling to sell because of the algorithm under which they're managed, as a vanguard is, for example, as long as it experiences inflows, you know, you'll see these types of dynamics. What you and I recognize, having spent a lot of time in financial markets, is that something like Bitcoin can go up and get tons of quote-unquote market value because of that illiquidity and relatively modest flows coming from the institutional space. They were never that crazy, right? I mean, when you talk about an asset class that grew to three to four trillion dollars in total size, you know, at various points in time, that can be created with a fantastically small sum of money, right? It's exactly as you're describing with the Japanese railways having 5% of their float out you know, we stumbled across the same thing um, tied to the Chinese stock market in 2015, you know, where it went up 500 percent over the course of a couple of months. And the driver turned out to be stocks that never actually changed hands. They never traded. Right. All that was happening is that they'd get marked to limit up every single day because the demand was not able to be satisfied by the existing supply. And so the price would get marked higher. The market cap would move up. That would create additional buying power, et cetera. Right. So. Like, we've all lived through this. This is the message that we tried to share. And because, in part, you know, we also try to temper that with the story around value that says, you know, these companies are supposed to generate cash flow and we should be able to do an analysis that says how much they're worth. You know, that, as Warren Buffett says, is true in the long run. But in the short run, it's all about these flows. And, you know, I don't know that there's an alternative. I genuinely don't know that there's an alternative. I do hope that we take for granted, that we stop taking for granted the functioning of markets and the very important allocation of capital, right? And that we, you know, we stop sitting here treating this as basically a, a casino for gambling in which none of it actually matters because it does matter. We're talking about the allocation of resources in our society and those are finite. And, it, you know, there have to be limits that are ultimately put on who can participate under what structure can they participate can they print money out of thin air can they access you know totally inappropriate levels of leverage should they be able to trade options on every security that expires every single day like you know there's just sometimes you have to say just because i can do something doesn't mean i should and unfortunately i think that's a big chunk of the story that we have in today's financial markets very well put michael i'm just afraid that it's going to require you know it's going to require a complete uh car crash to uh to foment some change. Uh, let that me... unfortunately is kind of where I come out. Yeah. So. Let, let, uh, Kaz, do you want to say something? I, well, I actually was going to ask you, you guys a question, um, but I think you both just answered my question because um, we got to have uh, Jim Chanos on our, our podcast, and he, um, I, I basically asked him if you can educate people, you know? Can you just teach people, maybe you just get them started from a very young age, and you teach them, like, you know, with 
high promises of high yield come high risk. And it probably means it's a scam. And, you know, can you teach these lessons without people having to lose a bunch of money? And it sounds like you both just answered my question, which is just like, no. Yeah, I mean, my father always used to say there's two ways you can learn things, either by precept or by experience. Precept is far more economical. We're all human. We all suffer from FOMO. We all give in to, you know, moments of weakness, hubris, arrogance, whatever. And so we, we invariably wind up electing the more expensive way. Uh, Jim happens to be a good mutual friend of both Michael's and mine. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I know Jim very well. Um, I, I'd like to just allow any of the other people who are up on stage um, we have some other smart people here. Gnostic, your hand is raised. I don't know if Bob Klein, Nostra, or ALB wanted to say anything, but Gnostic, let's let's do Gnostic and then Nostra. Gnostic, do you have something? Uh, yeah, just for Cass, uh, in the nest up above, I put the title of a book, Devil Take the Hindmost, which I think is one of the most educational books on sitting down and watching the insanity, both in history and throughout the rest of it. But also within that book, uh, just for, for Michael and George, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen or gone through the book, but in there, what he basically basically comes to say is that the reason that the Japanese market did what it did was because the government phoned these companies and said, you go in and buy these. And the government uh, highly pushed uh, inter-corporate uh, shareholdings uh, on the public companies in order to keep the stock market up and keep land values up. And so it was the government pushing this onto the corporations that created this uh, incest-related uh, holdings that just pushed everything through the ceiling that just made made the Japanese environment just so un, un analyzable crazy uh, yeah. in doing it. And that's kind of what I see within what what Cass and and uh, Bitfinex was were basically talking about is the same kind of incestuous cross dealing with with everything else. So when people sit down and say this is a new thing, uh, this isn't necessarily a new thing. It, it's something that's been around for quite some time and that that incessant internal purchasing. But also, I, I think that the, the U.S. government also has something to say within this entire thing because they began prosecuting transactions and the people involved in the transactions solely because it was done in U.S. dollars in an effort to discourage people from doing some of them, possibly, but in order to get jurisdictional oversight over some of this stuff that was done extra jurisdictionally. So the ex extra jurisdictional exercise of prosecution against, you know, and actually finding the people that did the transactions guilty only because it was done in US dollars, encouraged people to sit down and find some alternate that they could sit down and do the transactions in that would not get them prosecuted by the Justice Department uh, or the SEC for that matter. And, and this created a, a demand for a product like Bitcoin and like the token stuff that's come out now in order to sit down and do some of these transactions, if, if not on the basis of an illegal transaction, just on the basis of avoiding prosecution by the government. Nostic, thanks. I just want to push back a little bit against that. Um, one is that there's just a broader issue of standing, right? Like we can't turn around and prosecute crimes that occur in China unless they happen to involve U.S. citizens. And even then, our ability to have standing is very limited. I think there's generally a misunderstanding of the role of the SEC. The SEC is a civil organization. It doesn't actually have any authority to do criminal prosecutions. That's only done from the Department of Justice. And again, the standing of those suits is very much something that we have to consider, right? And so Americans that chose to step around the regulatory environment and say, you know, well, the problem is the government trying to prevent access 
and therefore I'm going to go off and do X, Y, Z. Like, you can't put that on the government. You really can't. Like, there's a lot of things we can put on the government, but if people willfully decide to try to move money outside the United States in order to access products that are specifically restricted within the United States, like, at, at some point, you just got to hear us say, you know, you bear the responsibility for importing the fentanyl and heroin. Oh, um, absolutely. And, but it, this particular transaction that was prosecuted uh, was done non-U.S. citizens, non-U.S. residents. It was only the only connection to the U.S. Uh, was the fact that it was done in U.S. dollars. And they uh, chased uh, that. Uh, again, and, and, you know, the reason why they did that was precisely because it was using actually U.S. property. U.S. dollars are U.S. property. So, Gnostic, thank you for flagging um, um, Devil Take the Highmost. Ed Chancellor happens to be a mutual friend of both Michael Greens and myself. And uh, you might recall a couple months ago, we had uh, Ed in the room to talk about his new book, The Price of Time, which I urge everyone, uh, they should run, not walk to read that book. Or if you want to just get the Reader's Digest Executive Summary version, not to show for my YouTube channel, but we interviewed him two or three months ago and it, he was, it was a terrific space. So Edward, Edward is truly first rate. Uh, I want to go to Nostra. He's had his hand up. Nostra, please unmute yourself. Uh, hey, George. Thanks for letting me talk. Uh, Bitfinex, I'm a huge fan. been following you for over four years outside this account. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, earlier, I believe it was Cass who brought up the possibility of Tether actually holding U.S. treasuries. For me, not only do I not believe that, but what's very odd about that is U.S. treasuries made an all-time high in March 2020. Since then, they're down 45%. And the Tether's market cap back then was less than $5 billion. Two years later, you hit $85 billion. So even if somehow, magically, they did have uh, U.S. treasuries, they are down big on those. And on top of that, the, the more pressing issue is after the Southern District of New York uh, finished their investigation of Tether and forbade them from doing any business in the state of New York, the Department of Justice is investigating them. I mean, it, it would be pretty difficult for them to hold treasuries considering that all treasury transactions are um, uh, are transacted through Fedwire. So the government, the treasury would know all the holders of treasuries. And on top of that, I have a question for Bitfinex. And that question is, why does Coinbase, who is a publicly listed company in the New York Stock Exchange, accepting Tether? And um, does that raise suspicion of USDC token, uh, even though Goldman Sachs backs Circle, which issues USDC, and they use Sil Silvergate Capital for issuance and redemptions of the USDC token. Thank you. So Coinbase only listed Tether after they got their stock listed on the stock market. Um, literally, I think it was like a couple days afterwards that they, they listed it. Um, now, they do not allow um, customers in New York to actually use Tether. Um, so if you have your profile set to where you, you live in New York, you can't use it. Now, I don't know how strongly they enforce that um, because in theory, you could just change your address to New Jersey and then you can use Tether in New York. Um, but I know for a fact that Bitfinex was continuing to do business in New York. Um, and there are people that are aware about it, but they just haven't really done anything about it. Um, as far as the treasuries, um, the entity that, or the counterparty that Tether has to the best of my knowledge is Cantor Fitzgerald, they're the ones apparently managing the treasuries for Tether. 
and to the best of my knowledge, it would be in New York. So I, I do. It, it is worth pointing out, though, that the way they have structured their um, reserves um, is puzzling to anybody who's actually paying attention. And I think this is worth bringing up because, like, whatever it is, five percent. 2%, 3%, there's all these little numbers of like tokens and uh, equity in other companies and uh, uh, um, like gold and all this other stuff. And most of these assets have gone down in value over the past year or two. And, and they have, for instance, they have equity in Celsius. Now, I'm assuming they wrote that to zero. But if you wrote that to zero, how are you still not showing that on your balance sheet like their balance sheet doesn't add up and i urge people to question it so i think that's the right move i don't know if they have u.s treasuries i can't tell you if they do i i maybe they do but with, um so with regards to celsius what i suspect happened with there um because tether was an investor in celsius and i think one of the one of the main investors in celsius Celsius, in my opinion was a ponzi scheme from the start i call i call it a ponzi scheme i think even in 2019 um I might have my year on that. And when Celsius blew up, um, whatever money that Celsius had, they just gave it to Tether, and then Tether closes everything out. So they basically paid back Tether, and the Tether probably didn't lose any money on the whole Celsius thing, but they paid back Tether, you know, and avoided paying back, or to, to basically to screw over all their customers. So until they get paid back first, everyone else gets screwed. And with FTX, it kind of seems, seems to be kind of the same thing. Until they get paid back first, everyone else gets screwed. Hey, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry, just to interject there. How, how does that yeah. mechanically happen? Because we, we actually would have the, the, the evidence of that in bankruptcy filings for both Three Arrows well, and Celsius and FTX. Yeah, I think I think it's a good question because there there's no like they I I don't I don't think they exited their Celsius investment. Like th this is this is what I mean. And if you uh, someone to follow for anyone out there who wants a, a good follow is Patrick McKenzie um at patio11. Um he's done some he's done some threads about this where he tries to go over the balance sheet of Tether repeatedly and Ultimately, every single time he ends up at the conclusion that they are insolvent. Now, take that with a grain of salt. It's just a guy looking over a balance sheet and coming to his own conclusions. But it makes sense to me. And I think it's worth looking into because it it doesn't it doesn't when the whole market is down, this doesn't make sense. And like like Mike just said, we would see it in bankruptcy filings, etc. if if it was somehow different. So I don't know, maybe Alameda, the bankruptcy filings will, will end up and, and FTX will show will show us a lot more into this. Hopefully it does. Um, but, you know, I know that they're trying to make those names confidential. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how they would, they would be able to hide it, you know. Um, but they, they have funneled money around trying to hide stuff. You know, so I, I, I kind of always assume that that's what there's something going on. Like I, I would, ex, I, I would expect Tether to be a creditor somehow to Celsius, and apparently I don't see Tether being a, a, a being a creditor to Celsius. But 
Celsius had multiple legal entities. So, like, I think it was Celsius Mining or something like that. Um, so they may have been a creditor to another entity that technically hasn't committed, that hasn't done, uh, declared bankruptcy yet. I don't know. Uh, before I ask my next question, um, if either Bob Klein or ALB have a question, please weigh in. Bob, do uh, you have a question or a comment? Yeah. Bob? Yeah. Kudos to uh, you guys for calling out the fraud that's been built into the market structure uh, in, in the whole crypto market. I, I have a question for Bitfinex and uh, Cass. Uh, you, you, uh, I think it was you, Bitfinex, that, that uh, kind of intimated that while we know that FTX had business with a lot extensive business with uh, Tether, what 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 sort of circumstantial evidence is there out there that other than that that um, that Tether may have perhaps substantial exposure to FTX in some way, even though they deny they do? At this moment, I don't think FTX. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't think. Tether has exposure to FTX other than the fact that FTX essentially stole a lot of money and then sent it on Tether. So I think if they have exposure to it, to it it's probably going to be some sort of legal exposure. Um, because the way that FTX and Alameda sent money to Tether was effectively bank fraud. Um, they, they don't just send money to like, you know one bank account that Tether has. They funnel it to dozens and dozens of accounts with mostly uh, false OBI and field, the, 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 the information in the OBI field, they would put, you know, they don't say that, hey, this is for Tether or this is for Bitfinex or whatever. They would put real estate transactions. They'll put medical treatment or something, basically a, a, a false wire transfer information that try to disguise the wire transfer. Because if they're honest about it, what happens is those accounts, they usually get shut down. And, you know, Sam Bateman, he admits to this. So Tether is basically receiving, you know, allegedly receiving $36 billion, allegedly, that is going to have, that's been cycled through dozens and dozens of bank accounts before it actually got to Tether. And then there's also the question is, okay, did the Tethers come first or did the money come first? And I'm of the opinion that the Tethers came first. Alameda does all the market manipulation, all the, all the spoofing, all the wash trading. They push the market up. People buy in. Alameda makes a bunch of money, and then they they pay they basically pay tether for all the tethers that they, that they buy, and you know generally they probably they probably do it within thirty days. I see. Thank you. Thanks, Bob, for that question. ALB, uh, have, have a go. ALB, floor is yours. Yeah. Hey, George. Good evening. Thanks for letting me make uh, my contribution to the space. Actually, I'm just going to ask a question from Ben Kay. Uh, he had it on the space uh, in the chat of the space. He's he's asking how come that Twitter has gone from being a, such a big player in the commercial paper space to becoming a big player in the treasury space, while at the same time avoiding all the slippage and the the slaughter that took place in the bond market this year. I don't know if you have yeah, any so comments about that. Yeah, yeah. They basically they got they got this guy's got a time machine. And uh, they, uh, they they know the future, and they got you know they got they got perfect prep trading history. You know. They're they're, they're, ma they're magical, you know. You know. I I, I that, that, that's I, the only explanation. So like I really think this is something that people. It's like it seems like a joke almost, but it is real. 
that these guys somehow magically traded their commercial paper that was not like you know top this was not top tier commercial paper it was like you know we have no idea what the hell was Ch- going chinese, on there. it was chinese commercial paper not ever we know at least some of it was chinese because they yeah. wouldn't say that it was chinese they wouldn't deny it so we know yeah. at least some of this was chinese sorry um i think i hit the mute button by accident uh can oh. you go sorry, sorry. sorry yeah, while, yeah while the chinese while the chinese uh, economy was in free fall they somehow magically got all of their commercial papers sold. They've sold all of this beautiful commercial paper that they had, and they've sold it for no slippage at all into U.S. treasuries where they're making, you know, very little yield, as people are mentioning here. And, and you, it, it is mind-boggling. It is absolutely mind-boggling. And I don't have an answer for you. And that, that is it. That's the question everyone needs to be asking right now is what the hell is going on with Tether's balance sheet? Can someone actually show us Tether's balance sheet? I don't want a description of their balance sheet as described by Tether. I want their balance sheet and nothing else will suffice. So that right now should be everyone's question in regard to this company and nothing else will work. No other kind of audit will work. Kaz, let me pour Gisley on that fire. I'm going to come back to what I said a half hour ago. Think about it for a second. If you were accused of all sorts of dastardly things, you're embezzling money from your employer, you have a drug habit, you have an affair with your secretary, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all right? The easiest way to clean your, clear your name is you put your hands up, you have a press conference, I'll take a lie detector test. You can interview all my my colleagues. Hear all my bank statements. Ask me anything you want. I'm going to be totally transparent. Curiously, though, Tether and all the others here, they do exactly the opposite. So the ineluctable conclusion from all that is, is they're guilty dead to rights. Can I prove it? No. But I go back on what I said earlier. When things are not obvious, they're not obvious for a reason. What would your pushback be to that, Kaz? No. I don't have a pushback. My pushback is that I, you know, I, I tried to, I, essentially my role was when, as, as Bitfinex described it is I, I saw Bitfinex had to leave the space in 2018 at some point. And, uh, uh, my co-host Bennett Tomlin and I both simultaneously, but separately felt the need to fill this gap in the critical and skeptical like realm of what is going on with Tether. And I think I have never gotten a reasonable answer for what's going on with Tether, ever, ever. I've gotten fake assurances, I've gotten lies, deception, and I've gotten a bunch of nonsense that doesn't make sense to anybody at all. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a traditional finance, like, been, in, been involved with this for 30 years, somebody new, somebody who knows nothing about finance, I try to explain it. Nobody understands it in any way that makes sense. So you know what? I have no, I have no pushback. Everyone should be asking a million questions about it, and nothing until they provide us every every snippet of their balance sheet and show us exactly how they got there from 2017 to now. Like it won't work. It doesn't right. work for me. And Cass, part of the problem is if this was like a regularly traded security, if it was a stock or a bond and suspicion started to increase, the price of the bond will go down, the interest rate will go up, 
the price of stock will go down. The cost of capital will go up. Problem is, this whole thing is smoke and mirrors. You can't really short tether. And so, you know, price is not having, it's not like a normal functioning market. And which leads me to the other question. Again, we all agree that regulators have incentives to do nothing until the car crash occurs. But I'll ask you, Kaz, Bitfinex, Mike Green, whoever. Forget about what the regulators are going to do. Do you think the regulators understand what's actually going on? I mean, I kind of think maybe not in the U.S., but certainly in China. They're no fools. They must know damn well what's going on. Do you have a, And you may say, well, George, doesn't really matter. They're not going to do anything. Do you think any of you, whoever wants to answer this question, do you think the regulators actually know the, the true score of what's happening? The U.S. regulators, um, I don't think they're fully aware of what's going on. The Chinese regulators, I have no clue. And, and I would almost flip it more in the opposite direction. The Chinese regulators are almost certainly more corrupt and less competent than U.S. regulators. And U.S. regulators, I would be very hard-pressed to believe they know what's going on. I think that's right. I agree with Mike. Just having spent a little bit of time in China, I think it's easy to bribe people. I think it's easy to get uh, a government official to, you know, let you mine Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and in America, those kind of deals while clearly possible, are not um, nearly as often the case versus just sheer incompetence. You know what's amazing? Think about this room. Everyone, look around you. Just look around you. Look at the people in this room. Not just people on stage, but people off stage. We're just a bunch of ordinary folk trying to figure this out. And I, I just have to say... This is probably the and I want to thank you, Bitfinex, for, for, for doing this and, and in turn you know, drawing Kaz and Mike Green and, and others out. I have to think this is probably the most important conversation, the most consequential discussion of the year regarding all this. We're just a bunch of guys on a stupid Twitter app trying to figure this thing out. It just blows me away. Where's the press? Where are the regulators? Like, what the hell? Like, I'm going to put this to you, Mike Green. You know, to me, the commentary, what this what this says about our markets, the gamification of this whole thing, and you rightly pointed out the misallocation of resources. I mean, what has the world come to, Michael? This is complete insanity. I think we've got a better handle in this room than than any other collection of, of thinkers ever on this subject. Like, why is it that why is that, Michael? It, it's complete insanity. Well, so so first, I guess I would kind of push back on your your observation that like if it was a normal stock, it would behave in a certain defined way, right? Because we've literally spent the last two and a half years, three years, arguing just how crazy some of the behavior we see in normal stock markets is. Forget moving over to the crypto space, right? Whether it's GameStop or Tesla or AMC, et cetera. So I, I, I think the rot runs much deeper than that. And I think, unfortunately, what you're seeing within crypto, and this has been the argument I've made for a very long time, is it's the same type of inelasticity, right? This inability to spool up supply in the face of an increase in demand, right, by getting a secondary market seller to sell, right? Getting Peter Lynch to dump a stock that goes up way too much in price, right? If that doesn't exist because the dominant purchasing pattern in a market is to buy more, 
when things go higher and to spend more of your budget when things go higher under a belief system that the markets just operate magically by themselves. This is the outcome, right? Like who, who's to say what the right answer is? Amazon was completely crazy in 1999, as was CD Now, but nobody remembers CD Now. Everybody remembers Amazon and points to it and says, who are you to say that this isn't the same thing as Amazon? Right. We, we forget the, you know, the mists of time obscure the money that was wasted on CD now or, um, you know, Internet uh, Capital Group or, you know, CMGI or any of those things. Right. We just remember the stuff that's worked and we're able to point to that and say, who are you to decide? And the answer is, uh, you know what, I'm nobody except I happen to have some capital that I'm willing to put to risk. And if you take that capital away from thoughtful people, you're going to end up with unthoughtful markets. And unfortunately, I think that's where we are. Very well said, Michael. And I'm afraid you're right. It's just, it's just in the public. <laughs> look, we all know in this room, a lot of professionals in here, we know how hard the markets are. And the public has served up a daily dosage of Jim Cramer, CNBC. You know, it's just, it's just really saddens me. Forget about whether you're making money or losing money. The whole system is just so screwed up. Um, any rate. Um, okay, so Kaz, Bitfinex, Michael, uh, any other thoughts? I mean, we've got a few other folks here who want to speak, but um, we might, maybe time to end the room. We've been going on for three hours right now. Any other closing comments or thoughts? Because it's been an unbelievable room. Yeah, I, I got to sign up for now. Um, getting late. Nostra, did you want to speak? You got a, a follow up, Nostra? Yeah, I just wanted to. Draw the connection of Tether to Bernie Madoff. Uh, Bernie Madoff also Bernie Madoff uh, also had um, trades that nobody could replicate, nobody could backtest, nobody could validate. And uh, what Cass said earlier about Tether, who seems to be the greatest trader of all time, to me that corollary seems to seems to be accurate. And maybe later on in the future we'll find out that Tether never actually made any of these trades in commercial paper or U.S. Treasuries. And I also like to uh, add, which is very bizarre, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, that Coinbase made an all-time high on the same day Bernie made off diet. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, that was, I did find it funny. Oh. And by the way, uh, Mike Green, you probably have the updated numbers, but uh, I think our good mutual friend Jim Chanos was tweeting out the other day that uh, the Coinbase uh, debentures, the Coinbase bonds were yielding 13% or something like that. Um, and I have to say, uh, you know, I, I heard a very good pitch recently on Coinbase. And like, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Coinbase just completely goes to zero. So I don't Michael, any thoughts on Coinbase? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, the way I would describe that is uh, first there, I think they're at 13.8 now, but, um, you know, which implies pricing somewhere in the 50 cent range. You know, the irony is, is that you that's actually a terrible bond, right? Because what's your actual what is your collateral? If Coinbase goes bankrupt, there's no recoveries there. So bizarrely, you're you're almost better off in the equity than you are in the debt. Um, if you think that they can survive for a little while, you think that they can pay out the cash like you might have recoveries. But I have a very hard time seeing, you know, that turning into a meaningfully profitable business. Um under the current structure. So I, you know, I think a lot of this stuff is zeros, right? Uh, this is, uh, you know, so much of what we're seeing here is 
identical to frauds that we've seen in the past. And that is always the risk, right? Because we've done this long enough. We've seen what we think is everything under the sun. And there are legitimate new businesses that come out, right? There is the the Amazon that emerges that does online selling that no one has done before. There is the Microsoft. There is the Apple with the iPhone and the, the iPod, et cetera. And so, you know, many of us are overly skeptical for very obvious reasons, and we miss those opportunities. Um, and that's a, that's a legitimate criticism that people can level against individuals like ourselves. But what we are seeing by and large across the industry is the same phenomenon that we've seen over and over again. An industry that is capable of creating its own leverage, creating its own funds. The initial dynamic of that is everything goes up because collateral values rise. As collateral values rise, you're able to borrow more money, which in turn causes prices to rise even further. And eventually the system exhausts itself and it starts working in reverse. It happens whether it's Mercury Finance or WorldCom paying with their own stock or appreciated debt. It doesn't really matter, right? It's the same story over. It can be, you know, um, uh, what uh, Landis Bank in Germany or the uh, the the Icelandic banks that are doing the same thing in the U.S. housing crisis, right? It really doesn't matter. It's always the same story that as you put leverage into a system, prices rise, collaterals increase, borrowing can be supported on the back of that increase in collateral, which causes prices to rise until it breaks. And you know now we're clearly in the break part. The question to me is, have we actually exacerbated all the evils? that people in crypto complained about, right? We are absolutely accelerating CBDCs at this point. We are not giving them the thoughtful treatment in terms of what do we actually want from them. We just know we don't want crypto anymore, right? So I think we've missed opportunities. I think that we're going to make very poor choices as a result of much of what's going on. And, and you know, the critics of regulation and, and the fans of crypto will get some of that part right. And they'll be able to you know, go through the rest of their lives you know, saying, you know, I see, I told you so. The whole system was terrible in the first place and we had a better solution that we just didn't succeed at. You know, I'm sitting here watching Nick Carter, who I've debated, you know, go on and on on Twitter right now talking about, you know, isn't it fantastic that people are making, you know, check, doubting Tether again, right? Like, he's, Don't even he's, get me his argument there. is they've got $70 billion <laughs> of, of treasury bills now and they're clipping 3%, right? It's like uh, Klaus, what's his name from Die Hard? Right? Um, how did he get them? How did the, you know? How did this magical yeah. transaction occur? Yeah, Michael, don't get me started on Nick Carter because you know you have these thought leaders in the in the in the Bitcoin community, the crypto community, who instead of stepping back and considering the existential threat presented by all the leverage and the opacity, they're going on about this protocol and that protocol and yada yada yada, completely missing the forest for the trees. And so the to be, to be fair to them, though, George, I mean, like in all seriousness, you know, Nick was a junior analyst at Fidelity, right? In the same way you were a junior analyst. At yeah, but, 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 but Michael, but, yeah, but Michael, that, 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 that's exactly the problem. He's yeah. deified. He, he's boosted up to being a thought leader. It's like, are you kidding me? 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, Michael, it's no different from it's no different from and I'm sorry, this is not a sexist comment. It equally applied to any 28 year old male. But. Has anyone? I'm sure, Michael. What's your reaction? Because you're more, you're more politic than I am. You're more well spoken. All right. Um, what's your reaction when you saw a photograph of that 28 year old math major, who's the CEO of of, uh, of FTX? What was your reaction to that, Michael? What does it say about the system? 
to me, it didn't say anything, right? I mean, uh, this, this, you know, the, the, the future beyond belongs to the young and that pisses those of us who are old enough off, uh, old enough to know better off. And, you know, her, her physical appearance or, or the fact that she rose that quickly, you know, to me, to me, it doesn't really change anything. Well, but... my, 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 Michael, I beg to differ with you, my friend. I mean, it's no different than, and, and Bitfinex will correct me, the scumbag guy, the, the physician who, okay, wasn't a female and he was 45, not 28. He was a male and he was 45. The guy who got busted, Bitfinex and Kaz, you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. I forget the guy's name. The guy who Alex was Alex or Carlo Demasini or no 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 guy. he's talking he's talking about the guy who was hired as the doctor for the staff of Alameda and FTX and then divulged all of their like Drug prescriptions use. and yeah. like broke every rule imaginable like I, I don't know the guy's a scumbag yeah Kaz thank you for that I wasn't even thinking about that guy I'm thinking about the guy you know who I'm talking about it was one of the, one of the one of the the, the, the big thinkers at, at Tether a few years back, the guy I think was a physician in a prior life, he gotten oh, busted. Oh, you're talking about Giancarlo. Yeah, yeah Giancarlo. Giancarlo. I mean, it was yeah, Giancarlo. Okay, so, so so Michael, with respect, it's got nothing to do with age, it's got nothing to do with sex. It's it's just it's just you know ten thousand hours. Do the work. I mean, the fact that oh, that's I, scum. Yeah, totally, you know, totally, totally agree with that point. That's why I was saying I like it, the the way that she physically appears or her her sex doesn't make any difference. No, no, I'm, I I don't mean to say it's got nothing. She could be a male. She could yeah. be forty five years old. It's not the point. Right. The point is that you know whether it's her or it's it's Giancarlo or Tether or whatever. It's like that speaks volumes to me. I mean, we 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 literally have we broke. We're gonna break capital. We're gonna we're breaking markets at this rate. I mean, this is really sad. Really sad. No, no, no. And, and and look, that's exactly the point that I keep making. Is this that this runs much deeper? I think we've already broken markets. Um, there's a chance, increasingly slim, that we'll be able to retain them. Um, but uh, you know, I, I just think this runs much, much deeper, as you know. You know, like, Michael, you and I agree on this, and it's truly sad to think what's going to might follow as a result of this. But rather, well, hold on. I see another smart cookie came in the room. Uh, I've never spoken to him, but I've listened to him. Dimitri, um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, if you'd like to weigh in, I don't know, you just showed up, so you've missed the last few hours. But if you have any comments, thoughts, co reactions about what's been going on with all this mess, this is probably the most consequential room on crypto this year, period, between Bitfinex and Kaz and Michael Green. This has been an all-star lineup. So, Dimitri, you have any thoughts, comments, reactions? Hey, George. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um yeah, this is a question, I guess, for you and Michael and then anyone else who wants to weigh in. And you're right. I basically missed the entire room. And that kind of speaks to what I was going to get at, the question I have. Because so I come from a place of trying to understand a lot of different complex subjects, not just finance. I'm not really a journalist. I'm a podcaster. And I try to operate with the greatest amount of journalistic integrity that I can just from that place of not having, you know, this is not like some profession, but I try to do my best. And I struggle so much, even even in this particular area, finance, markets, et cetera. After all the shows I've done, all those people I've spoken to, all the times I've, all the years that I've thought through some of these problems, I struggle to even cover a basic thing like Tether. It's a, it's a good example, actually. It's, 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 so timely because tether is something that's come on my radar years and years ago right and um it's not that it didn't look like a complete uh shady criminal god knows what operation i listened to the same 
conversations that you guys did that episode that that uh, the CTO and the um and Stuart did on uh, what the what Bitcoin did podcast ridiculous I mean it was painful to listen to and yet because I try to I, again like I, I guess but my point is it's what's become I think increasingly difficult this is the long-winded way of asking it because you guys brought up Japan you brought up your experience in the past I think it's become even harder uh, to educate the public and to do a good job um, in the media because the institutions have broken down and increasingly you have all these people with sub stacks and podcasts. <clears throat> and while sure that creates great competitive pressures that get people like me to work even harder and try to do an even better job, you lose so much of the economies of scale that come with having people in house, having organizations and it, one of my deep concerns, truly, is that we are, we are all collectively, both through social media, in the way that we're incentivized to one-up one another, et cetera, and also through media institutions, et cetera, we're failing to actually educate people. And people seem to be, in my opinion, even less informed. And so it becomes even more difficult to inform or alert people about you know, frauds. Because everyone's kind of out there pumping their book. And I don't just mean that financially. I just mean people have their paid subscriptions or their sponsors or whatever. And they're less committed to actually getting to the facts. And everyone's coming into the situation with their biases. And it's just really hard to filter. And so um, I, I guess the, the, that's a long-winded observation. I'm curious if it resonates with you guys. And I'm curious if you feel that way, that like – the the information landscape has become uh, more polluted and the public is less informed and it's harder to inform people like when you guys speak with journalists or whatever i mean like what is are people just exa exhausted with all the things they have to cover with all the x's and o's you know what i mean like i'm just curious what you guys think about that there is actually a lot of media that is funded by um now you mentioned what bitcoin did and you know Bitfinex, I can't, I can't understand you for some yeah, reason. Hey, it's... Hey, yeah, yeah, Bitfinex, we can hardly hear you. I don't know what the problem is right now. Yeah, so, Dimitri, one thing I would just say, and Michael Green, I'd like you to weigh in on this. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it, it wasn't me. Um, it, 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 I, I, you sounded underwater, Bitfinex. Yeah, yeah. So, usually it's a bad Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, yeah, Bitfinex, see if you can come back. Michael, I want to throw something out there. I, I, I invite your response. Part of the whole problem, too, is the disintermediation that's occurred in markets. It's not just about crypto, but when you, 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 you have like an intermediary. So like someone puts some money in an index fund, to Michael's point about, you know, uh, meeting. Uh, Did we lose everybody? I can't tell. If, if Michael, 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 can you hear me? Michael Green, can you hear me? I think I need to come. I think I need to leave. Hey, Michael, can you hear George? I can't hear George. I'm going to leave and come back in. Yeah, yeah Michael, leave and come, yeah, leave and come back. So part of the problem, Dimitri, let me try to, I'm not sure I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to riff on this anyway. Part of the problem I see is the disintermediation that's occurred. That is to say, you know, Mike Green's big on, you know, the misallocation of resources from uh, passive investing index fund. I totally agree with that point. And the problem is when someone's investing in an index fund, do they really understand that 7% of their, they put $100 in, do they really understand that $7 is going to go to Apple? And $2 is going to go to Tesla. No, it's just this ETF. It's this thing. And there's no real price discovery. 
And I think as it relates to crypto, there's all this narrative. I mean, people don't do the work. And I actually think, you know, and this plays into a real pet peeve of mine. When I hear the term democratization of finance, I urge people to run, not walk as fast as possible away from that. All right. This is a hard business. You know this, Dimitri. Okay. The pros, if they're honest, will admit it to you. It's, it, we live in unprecedented times. This is a hard business. Okay. I rack my brains every day trying to figure out what's going on. I'm filled with doubt. And for some retail investor to just, you know, waltz in, you know, a la David Portnoy circa 2020. And he's schooling Warren Buffett. You know, he's picking tickers, uh, you know, dice out of a bag. Are you kidding me? And so this is all a function of the most irresponsible monetary policy in the history of mankind. We totally did away with price discovery. And now what's happening with the cost of capital going up price discovery is starting to reemerge and there's going to be a tremendous amount of wealth, paper wealth destruction in the process. But I want to come back to this point of disintermediation. The fact that the end buyer is not really meeting the end seller. There's someone in the middle and price discovery gets removed from that. And I think it results in a tremendous misallocation of resources. Michael Green, over to you. Well, unfortunately, I think that's right. And, you know, most people that are in this space will have heard something about Hyman Minsky. And, you know, Minsky is largely responsible for the framework that we think about in terms of markets becoming fragile or economies becoming fragile and then ultimately crashing. And, you know, his famous phrase is stability begets instability, right? That if we have a system in which the system is largely predicated on let's just keep it going, let's keep it safe, let's not let anyone lose money, you eventually end up under conditions under which people have naturally exploited that to take on too much leverage and to do all sorts of ridiculous things. Um, that's kind of where we are, right? Is, you know, the dynamics of the industry of, of, of our economy at this point have become predicated on people having access in particular corporations having access to low-cost funding and we've not yet had the realization of what that loss of funding means i think crypto is just kind of the opening salvo in that framework um, because it is a, a system that is inherently negative cash flow, right? This has been one of the arguments and complaints that those of us who have been critics of the space for a long time highlight that every single day that goes by, you know, somewhere around 20 million bucks needs to flow into the crypto space in order to just keep the lights on with the mining. Um, that's an inherently negative cash flow business that offers no legitimate reward to those who participate in it. And so as capital becomes increasingly scarce, this becomes one of the first industries to suffer. Um, but it's, it's far from alone, right? You can look at any number of Silicon Valley startups that were told massively expand, you know, try to buy market share with venture capital dollars, et cetera. Same thing you heard in Japan in 1989, right? We compete for long-term market share, not for profitability, et cetera. Right, so you hear this story over and over and over again, and the Minsky framework is really straightforward. At different levels of interest rates, businesses are capable of servicing their debt in different ways. Right, So a hedged business is one that can carry debt and is capable of servicing that debt 
But if I raise interest rates to 100%, no business can service its interest rates. No business can service its debt. And I think that's, the, you know, so there's a mixture of we made a lot of bad choices in increasing the fragility of the system for years and years and years. And now we've made a bad choice, in my opinion, by moving so rapidly to try to reverse it, focusing on inflation as compared to stability, that we run a very real risk of destabilizing in a meaningful way. I, I can't possibly know that, but it's, I'm very concerned about it right now. Thanks, Michael. Very well said. Uh, I see we have a couple other uh, questions that showed up, so let's let's get turn to them before we close the room. Uh, my good friend Tether to the Black Hole, please unmute yourself. Uh, what's on your mind, my friend? All right, there, George. Thanks, um, guys. I'm going to speak in this accent because I have to hide where I'm, well, you know, what I'm doing here. Because uh, me and George have worked very closely over the last year and a half, and I just wanted to voice what he said about getting the. Um, you know, or the, the fact that we were talking about the U.S. regulators and the Chinese regulators or whether they know. The main thing is they would have wanted this to go down on its own. They wouldn't because because of the whole aspect of stay away from crypto. It's not us. You know, the, the fact that it could pop by itself is perfect for them. And I just want to voice again everything that Bitfinex has done, George, and what you've all done there. To, to raise the awareness and the amount of people that have been saved is significant. And we work, we work, there's not just myself, there's about 10 of us that work on this here, right? And we work for, uh, closely with the, with the FT and the UK ended up putting uh, measurement, uh, things in place that stopped banks taking crypto deposits and stopping you from sending money to Binance. And we feel we had a major say in that. And George would tell you, at the end of the day, we we helped out with Jim Cramer putting it on CNBC as well. Um, I know he changed his mind in the end, but there, when it comes to light one day, we'll be able to tell our story about how we were trying to help as many people as possible, George. And you know, when I brought to light what was on the New York Attorney General when she said Tebber were completely lying, and then Jim did when and, and the main thing about those segments was it was more eyes, but it just goes back to if crypto was meant to go down on its own, I was perfect for the regulators. I'm pissed off with the regulators as well. Of course I am. I'm fucked off with them. But I just don't know. I feel like. If they knew it could go by itself, that was the perfect scenario. So, uh, Ted of the Black Hole, let me ask you. Um, and what he's talking about is basically in the second quarter of 2021, 18 months ago, time flies and we're having fun. He and a bunch of others, I think there were half a dozen of us, a cabal, if you will, um, we really tried to sound the alarm on Tether and the whole bit. And that's when I engineer jihad and had tomatoes thrown at me and i got to know kaz and ben and everybody else and um we went to various media outlets we went to kramer we went to the ft and tether you're going to correct me went to the ft went to the wall street journal i'm forgetting all of them it was just remarkable and we were apoplectic because it was it was patently obvious but at a certain point we said you know what we're not going to die on this hill if the regulators aren't going to do anything, it's just going to have to be left to collapse under its own weight, which eventually it will as, as the tsunami of liquidity recedes. 
But I have to say, Tether, I mean, I, I really I appreciate all the work that you did, we did. But it's just remarkable um, how, you know, the FT, the Journal, CNBC, and I don't know, I can't, again, I forgot who else we went to. They just, they couldn't be bothered. And so, you know, but what goes around comes around. Karma's a bitch. So I thank you for that, Tether. I really do. It's just been a pleasure knowing you. All right. Uh, David Newman, you you had, I think, I'm uh, going to give you yeah. Yeah, uh, can uh, you guys hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Okay. Um, I just, I just had one uh, quick, quick question about fidelity and uh, crypto, and what uh, your guys' uh, opinion of that is. Um, and I'll just listen to you guys. Well, it's interesting. I mean, fidelity wants to be a big uh, leader in crypto, but they, like other uh, legacy financial institutions have been somewhat constrained by the uh, regulations in place regarding crypto. Um, I was just talking before about money market funds and, um, you know, we need to have some clarification. We need to have some clarity on, on regulation. Um, and so uh, I suspect that it will be a leader in crypto just as they were in money market funds, but we need to have, uh, we need to have the reg- the regulations uh, sorted out. So um, stay tuned. Um, all right. So, AELB or Gnostic? I'm going to turn to either of you guys if you have anything you want to say before we uh, close the room. This has been going on for three and a half hours. It's much longer than I thought it would. Uh, AELB, Gnostic, any closing thoughts on uh, Tether, Crypto, Lisa Franks, or anything? Gnostic, over to you. Um, I've enjoyed the space, and we didn't have a dust-up until the last minute. And then, you know, it always disappoints me. The Bitcoin people just turn around and go poof. Um, and, and it's like, you know, I've been in so many spaces and try and follow them. I just end up keeping my mouth shut because they go poof or I get poofed, uh, one or the other, you know, you know, it's hard. I I thought if I'm allowed to, if I'm allowed to, I'll give myself some credit for being remarkably restrained, but it's just really hard. They just come in and they want to just, I don't know, just, they just, they just want to recite the catechism again. It's just, just makes me crazy when they do this stuff. Um, oh, I, I like the, I like the comparison to the catechism because it's just like, you know, can't, and, and the problem that I find is I go into the spaces, you sit down and you, you talk to them and the, the closest you can get to actually trying to give any financial education uh, is, is just kind of, you know, booted out um, and they, they just don't want to hear it. And uh, I, I sort of wish I could get Michael in there um, to sit down and sort of, you know, go through it and sort of use his well-worded phrases. And, and he does do a very good job at, at it um, to sit down and try and get some education into them. Because when it crashes, it's going to hurt so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I'll, much. And I'll just say, because I know you're, I can see your friend, we were in space together yesterday. I think we're on the cusp of just an epic collapse and all this speculative garbage you know, from crypto to Bitcoin to Tesla to Kathy Wood, all this stuff, it's all going to go. And um, it's really sad because the public is just going to get completely bagged. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, one of the one of the spaces, you know, I-, I brought up education and I got bid at for somebody just biting at me and going, well, that's what the uh, apologists use every time they sit down and go in someplace and they try to get the government to do education. It's just the excuse from the apologists for sitting down and continuing this whole, it's like, wow, where the heck did that one come from? 100%. ALB, parting words? Um, 
George, I just wanted to share this with you because I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be frank. I'll be honest with you. I was never interested into this theater, theater BS. I, I've only, I've only known this this scam when I listened to you uh, going into confrontation with the CEO. I mean, uh, that, that 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 podcast, I mean, a clip, and it literally just blew me off. Uh, but but just uh, listening to the guy, I knew that this thing was a complete scam. I mean, how could you possibly just any any just give credit to anything that comes out of the mouth of this guy? But in any case, I mean, just out of curiosity, for the first time in my life, I just went into the, this website and I looked at their supposedly financial reports. And you know me, I'm an experienced CPA. So I mean, this stuff is is easy for me not to brag, but that's what it is. But I look at this. And I just, uh, and I just scratch my head. What I see in front of me is just, pardon my French, a pile of bullshit. Nothing else, nothing more. And if this, if this doesn't light up in your head, and doesn't lead you to the conclusion that you can't trust such organization with savings, then with your savings. I don't know what to say. I frankly don't know what to say. You know, I go back to uh, a few minutes ago. I'm just shaking my head. I'm just really saddened because we're breaking markets. We will break markets. And the regulation that will then follow, the retribution from politicians, the witch hunts, Nothing good's going to come out of this. It's all because it's the Wild West and the regulators aren't doing their job and the more somebody gets away with something, the more imitators it spawns. It's capitalism eating itself. It's really sad. You know, I've said it many, once, said it many times. Investors are going to get an education. The only question is how expensive will it be? They can learn by precept, reading a book, or by experience. It's much more economical to learn by experience. Oh, sorry, by precept. Unfortunately, everyone's hell-bent on learning by experience. There's no substitute for getting destroyed yourself instead of reading a book. It's really sad. And, you know, ALB, you've, you've spoken about Nasuki, you've spoken about it. You try talking to these people, and they bite your head off. The amount of profanity and nastiness I've had thrown at me, it's funny. People say, again, that's nothing compared to the stuff I had to put up with. But who was it? Churchill, I think it once said. Uh, Nasuki will correct me. Revenge is a dish best best served cold. Well... They're getting what they richly deserve. It's not like we didn't try. You know, but we were all accused of, oh, you don't get it. You're too old. You're this, you're that. You're a boomer. I love that one, boomer. Whenever I hear boomer, it's always a substitute for someone not having anything intelligent to say. It makes me laugh. I've gotten to the point of every time I hear grifter, it's the same thing. Yeah. Let's get Kaz back up here. 
Hey, Cass, what's up, man? I know, I know your blood pressure went up. I tried to get, I, I shut that guy down finally. What's, what's up, Cass? George, I just wanted to apologize to you and the listeners. I shouldn't have gotten upset like that. That was uncalled uh, for. Um, Cass, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I, it, I, I just, you know, I don't know if you heard me. I just tried to separate the guy out because just, I know why he got upset. And he was just. He's being a bit of a dickhead for doing what he was doing. So no, no, no harm, no foul, totally forgiven. But in return for that, I'm going to ask you to leave us with some parting words of wisdom, Kaz. What do you got to say for yourself? I, I want to say that everyone needs to be skeptical. Everyone needs to ask questions. It is okay to ask questions. Don't feel ashamed. There's going to be people who are going to tell you, you're an idiot. What do you mean you don't know why we're getting this yield or why we're making this much money or how the money is moving from here to here? You're so stupid. That doesn't matter. Don't listen to them. Ask questions about everything all the time. Be curious and wonder about the world. It is interesting and fascinating. And the more you ask, the more you'll, the more you'll just be puzzled by this amazing craziness. I, I never would have fallen into this trap of cryptocurrency and tether and fraud and all of this stuff if I hadn't asked questions. And that's all I want people to do. And I, I again, I'm sorry I lost my temper, but... No, no, yeah, no apology necessary. And, and you were spot on. And in fact, I think you would agree with this. The lack of self-reflection the lack of self-doubt, the, virt- the certainty of the positions articulated by the Bitcoin maxis, the crypto maxis, to my way of thinking, is information content, serious information content in that. I am riddled with doubt. I am not sure of anything I do. I am constantly quite questioning myself. But yet, you know, when you're in a cult, you're not allowed to question anything. Alternative points of view are not tolerated. And so, I don't know. To me, the virtual certainty that these guys possess and continue to carry the flag for their crypto, their Bitcoin, all the rest, tells me all I need to know. And Kaz, I want to thank you, not just for coming in the room today, but I hope it was, you know, Kaz, have you ever spoken to Bitfinex, actually? Is this the first time you speak with them? Uh, I've spoken to him privately, but this is the first time publicly, and it, it was a pleasure, and it was a pleasure being here to have that discussion for so long. And I thought it was actually quite informative. And, and we were pushing a bunch of reasonable and positive points about what people can be asking about this space and this industry and wondering about it. And I, I, those are all good things for people to do. Market structure. What, what is going on here exactly? It's, it's all good stuff. And I, I hope that's the takeaway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was just marveling myself sitting here. I had myself on mute listening to you guys go at it. I was like, wow, how cool is this? Two of the smartest guys around on crypto, you know, you know, just having a debate back and forth. It was so awesome. I want to thank you for that. Um, I, I want to give big, big props to Bitfinex. I mean, he contacted me yesterday and he said, you know, he, he's kind of the federal witness protection program. But he's like, he got so pissed off. He's like, I have to speak as, all right, we'll come in the space tomorrow. And I want to thank you for joining him because it was really... I mean, Kaz, honestly, I think this is the most consequential crypto discussion of the year occurred today in this room because you 
and Bitfinex. And it just, I'm thrilled, but it also saddens me. Why is it just a bunch of guys just hanging out and girls, you know, doing this work? Like, where the hell are the regulators? It just blows my mind. Uh, but this, this I think, was the crypto discussion of the year. I really believe that. Um, Nasik, you raise your hand. You wanted to say something, I think? Uh, yeah, I was just gonna gonna say, Cass. You know, thank you for being there. Uh, you, you know, the fact that you came back and sort of apologized, you know, raises my respect immensely. Um, and you know, it's it's please be patient with people. Um, a lot of, I mean, the people in this room all have, you know, varying degrees of knowledge of how the system works. None of them are perfect. Like George is saying, everybody makes a mistake. We all try to understand what's happening and try to wade our way through, you know, unknown seas of, of doubt and, and all the rest of this stuff. And we all have to keep, you know, at some point we all lose it. George has certainly lost it, which we always find humorous. I've certainly lost it, which, you know, and, and been dumped on and other things. So, you know, we all lose it. But, you know, being able to come back and say, you know, hey, you know, maybe there's something else here and, and bite you, you know, I bite my tongue constantly. Uh, I know AELB does and, and some other people in here bite their tongues too and just listen. In in the listening is knowledge as well. Um, and, you know, we've got to get some of the, the uh, Bitcoin people and some of the crypto people to be a little bit more patient so they can hear, so they don't shout out all of the knowledge that's available to sit down and say, hey, be careful. And, you know, we're all trying. We're all trying to speak up. We're all trying to say something. But we need people like you who'll come in and, and sort of back up the patients on it to sit down and say, hey, folks, this is OK. So you're very much needed in, you know, to bring some sort of peace between the two camps, because it's almost like they're two, almost like it's two warring opposing camps right now, which is just really frustrated because I see the train coming and I see people playing on the train tracks. And they're just, you know, when you go, here comes the train, they're all going, what train? We don't see a train. Well, they're too busy trading stones back and forth with each other. Uh, and going, we're making a fortune. Here's my pile of stones. And you're going, but there's a train coming out of the tunnel. Um, and it, it's quite frustrating. So, I, Nasek, I second that. And Kaz, I can't thank you enough. Please come back. This has really been, I hope you got as, I hope you got as much out as we did. You were terrific. It was a pleasure hearing you and, you know, Mike Green and, and, uh, Bitfinex. And it was so creative. Again, I, I just, I mean, just think about it. Just think about what we do together in this room, this community. It's just phenomenal. And it's just extraordinary. All right, I'm going to give the last comment to Tether, the black hole. Tether, my friend, you got something to say? Hey, Tether, Tether, Tether. I like the Scottish brogue bread. Come on, man. Cut it out, man. What's going on? <laughs> We can't understand a word you're saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hang on, wait there. <laughs> oh, that's better. What were you going to say, Tether? Right, sorry. I think I had some weird thing that's meant to hide my voice, but I'll just stick with the Scottish thing. <laughs> um, hey, te hey, Tether, Tether, one question for you. I know you have friends in Cayman. You have some friends in Cayman, right? Which is sort of like ground zero for all this crypto craziness. What are you hearing from Cayman, Tether? So it's 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 gone quiet. Let's put it that way. You know, it's it's all gone quiet. I'm, I'm afraid, George. I can't really go into too much about that. I'm afraid not yet. Until I work out how to do this, like uh, 
where I can mimic up my voice completely, then I'll, I'll, I'm okay to speak a little bit more on that front. But right. you know, that's all, the deal. all I wanted to that's... say was, you know, um, David came back in and he said about going to parties and telling his friends about what was going on with Tevar and having the balls to say to them and getting shut down. But the fact of the matter is, as everyone's done their part, and it's, it's hats off to the guys who were taking and getting so much shit. You know, cut them... Death threats. Bitfinex has to be fucking, you know, he, he, he does what he has to do and go undercover because legit people were getting death threats. And the, the difference yep. now is we have enough numbers behind us and that's a great thing. And eventually, the regulators only have a matter of time. If they don't do something with Tether soon, when this many people know, it will be a disaster. So all I can say 100%. is, from my end, yeah. That's it. So yeah, thanks. Hundred percent. And by the way, uh, David, um, I see you're down there in the third row. Um, I know this is inter- interrupting. I think or conflicting with the th- Tuesday night space you usually do. So I'm gonna re- I'm gonna give up now. I'm going on four hours. I'm tired. Maybe I'll circle back, David, with the space that you have. I don't know if you're doing it tonight. Uh, if you hear me, David, please raise your hand so I know I know you're listening to this. Um, but. Um, I will just say in closing, and I have no proof of this, but putting the pieces together, and this goes back, Cass, to you, when I asked the question about the linkage between Tether and um, FTX and the whole bit, my my sort of pattern recognition, uh, muscle memory, gut reaction is the whole thing is freaking linked. I can't tell you exactly how, but, you know, we were calling out Tether a year and a half ago. I was calling out scam bankman fraud six months ago. It's just you've been in the locker room long enough. You've seen enough enough of the game played. You recognize patterns. And I'm telling you, when the, when it's all said and done, you're going to find out that Tether and FTX and Scam Bankman Fraud and the whole rest, it was all interlinked. Details to follow in the 11 o'clock news. Um, and they say, well, how did you know? No, it's just that's where experience comes in. And I've just seen enough scams in my life. So I don't know if you guys, uh, Dave, if you're doing the uh, green candle on Tuesday nights like you usually do, but um, I'm going to close this room now. If you guys want to start another room, uh, I will hopefully turn up after I rest a little bit. But this was started out as an hour and a half room at 430, and then we were privileged to have Biff and X come in. So I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have and learned as much as I have. I want to thank all of you, Kaz, AELB, all you guys, uh, O'Hare, this has just been awesome. We do this together, and we're just trying to figure it out. So, anyway, enough of that. Um, we'll do it again before too long. Kaz, I expect, demand that you come back in these rooms, because I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. This has been awesome. Yeah, no problem, man. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Good night, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Night, George. Thank you.